Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. No, start off. No, no good. <laughs> hey, kids, welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. Uh, welcome I don't know to- what that voice was. <laughs> I don't know. Were you were you doing a character? It- <laughs> I'm doing a bit. <laughs> um, this is episode fifty-five. Uh, Shwan. <laughs> um, and boy, do we have a good show! For boy, you are my arms tired. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> doesn't it? That's completely irrelevant to the situation. <laughs> okay, doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Um, so, uh, what's up? Uh, did you see the trailer for the new Purge? No. Boy, I'm not excited for that at all. Oh, you don't say. Apparently I'm the only one, though. Because all the genre sites are fucking jerking off to it. Because people are dumb. (laughs) Those movies are so bad. They're not very good. That's, like, not saying enough about it. They are so bad. The thing is, I like the premise. I just don't think it's been executed well yet. No, yeah, it's it's been awful. Like there's there's, there's nothing redeeming about them. They're, the thing is, they want to be action adventure movies, and they need to make them horror movies. But how do you make that horror? You have somebody out there fucking hacking people up with a machete. Eh, I don't. You don't just have you know some guy out there with a fucking cleaver. And he's just hacking people, and then there's some other guy with an axe, and he's hacking people. Just a lot of hacking. I want to see a lot of hacking going on. This sounds like 31. How do you know? You haven't seen it. Because I know the premise. Well, they don't just walk down the street legally hacking people. True. But But no, they want to make it like action-adventure, and there's gunfights, and... (laughs) Give it up. They're just... they're, They're dumb. They're boring. And the first one in Ethan Hawke, so... <laughs> so your argument is invalid. <laughs> uh, uh, what else is new? Hmm, not much. Mm-hmm. We uh, went to Monday... Not that. We went to Monday Night Raw. That's right, we did. Yeah. We saw Daniel Bryan officially hang up his boots. He just cried and cried. It was, it was emotional. Were you crying? Those are, I mean, you know, in a manly way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, we saw David O'Brien uh, retire. Who the fuck is David O'Brien? <laughs> you know. You know that guy. You know his real name is Brian Danielson? No, I didn't. So real, they went real clever with that. <laughs> right. Um, man, my fucking computer. You know, I bought a new laptop with the intention to use it for the show. Uh, because I don't know if any of you can hear it, but every time I listen back, there's always just some like staticky graininess to the show. Taylor doesn't hear it, but it drives me insane. It's probably because we're exporting it as MP3s and then editing the MP3s separately as opposed to, to saving it as a GarageBand file and it's, editing it in GarageBand. It's possible, but... That's what I think it is, but I'm... No science guy. <laughs> you got there. <laughs> Close enough. Technology! I mean, 
when we first started using GarageBand, I tried to figure it out, and I was just like, it, it was it was over my head, and I didn't really want to devote the time to try and figure it out because you know we record on Saturdays. And we have to put the show out on Wednesday, and I just did not have the time to commit to figuring the fucking thing out and That's put the show on Wednesday. So, yeah, we'll export it from GarageBand. I'll upload it in Audacity, that you know, which I know how to use. Um, but yeah, I bought a new laptop with the intention of using Audacity again, so we could eliminate a step. Um, and now I'm it, I, what I said to restart like ten minutes ago. At least. Still still working on it. So. It's not even giving you like a percentage. It just says getting Windows ready, don't turn off your computer. Yeah. Fucking Windows 10. You know, like right before this happened, you said, oh, how's Windows 10? I'm like, oh, it's all right. <laughs> it's a dick. <laughs> it's being a fucking asshole. <sighs> anyway. Uh, yeah. Hurt my neck, apparently, at raw. Yeah, Tony's too old to sit. <laughs> Well, we're up at like, you know, almost about as high up as you can go. Um, but, you know, on a limited budget at StubHub, that's what you get. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we could have gotten ringside seats for 180 bucks a pop. Well, we had ringside seats. We had them right. We had them in our grasp. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell this story. <laughs> but uh, yeah, buddy, buddy of ours. Um, Kevin Nesgoda, who's actually been on the show. Yes. Yeah, I'm calling you out by name. Uh, yeah, he got ringside seats, and then he was in a car accident and couldn't make it. So he wanted to transfer the tickets to me, but apparently StubHub has a 24-hour notice for transferring will call tickets, and this was the day of. So he got the nice runaround from StubHub. And finally, he got a hold of senior management, and they went, okay. We'll refund your money. And he's like, no, that's <laughs> not what I want. Yeah. And so instead of keeping the money that they made and just transferring the tickets like he requested, they just they gave the money back. Yeah. And they put the tickets back in the pool. And then I don't know what happened to them from there. Yeah. Because you checked. And- yeah, I looked for them and I kept like refreshing the page to see if they would pop up and I never saw them. It's fucked up. I didn't see any empty seats around ringside, though. So yeah, I mean, somebody got them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, you know, we were up basically in the nosebleeds, and so I'm looking down at the ring for three hours. And I think I've talked about it on the show before. It's like, I've got a fucked up vertebrae in my neck. And so, like, the worst thing I could possibly do is just purposely stare down for two, three hours. Uh, and Key Arena does not have the best amenities no those chairs are fucking awful all the more reason we need a new arena that's a different podcast don't bring that shit in my house oh i'll bring it all over the place i'll bring Bring it all over over your your face face. um and chest (laughs) and butt so here it is thursday and i'm still fucking recovering like I, i didn't even know what had happened like I was looking down at the ring, and then you said something to me, and I tried to lift my head up and look over at you, and I'm like, oh, fuck, what the hell happened to me? <laughs> Am I dead? <laughs> and uh, you know, I went to the chiropractor yesterday, 
Was it yesterday? I think it was the day before, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, Tuesday. Um, and uh, I, had, I had to stay home from work. I couldn't even – I couldn't sit up without being in pain. Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. I went to the chiropractor and gave me some pops and I'm, st- I'm doing all right now. It's still – told you, it feels like a pinched nerve in my neck now, but it's fucked up. It's no good. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we're recording on Thursday instead mm-hmm. of Saturday. Uh, just to kind of sidetrack a little bit. Um, you guys may remember, uh, by the time you're hearing this, it'll be just past uh, a year ago that uh, I lost my little brother um, to cystic fibrosis. Um, and uh, we were on a bit of a hiatus for about a month. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so, I'm, you know, the day of is, is Saturday, the day we usually record. Uh, and, you know, my family and I are just going to kind of spend some time together on that day. So we're recording early. Um, you know, we are going to, we've been trying to make it a habit of doing cystic fibrosis month in May. Um, and obviously this is February, but I just want to quickly mention um, that, you know, cystic fibrosis, it, it affects uh tens of thousands of, uh, not only adults, but ch- mainly children, uh, around the world. Um, it's, 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 it's a life threatening disease. I mean, case in point. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it doesn't get, you know, it's, it's a fairly rare genetic disease, uh, and it doesn't really get the attention that something like, you know, cancer or autism or, you know, anything like that doesn't really quite get that same attention because it's relatively rare, but it's, it is a, it, it affects, I mean, millions of people. I mean, not, not just the patients themselves, but everybody they know. Um, so, uh, with that said, I just want to please relay you guys to uh, cff.org. It's a cystic fibrosis foundation. Um, I, I, would, I would love it if you guys would just donate whatever you could. To the there, there is a link on our website. Too. Yes, there is. That's uh, directly to, I believe it's directly to my, my, my brother's memorial page and you can donate from there. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, that's it. So, uh, I guess we'll get off of that and move on with the show. Anything else to talk about? Uh, I feel like I did, but I can't think of what it was, so it must not have been very important. All right. Well, if that's the case, maybe we'll just do horror business. All right, starting off with some real-world horror. Amazon ad zombie prop. prop. <laughs> what? You're mumbling. No shut up, you. shut up, shut up. Amazon ad zombie outbreak clause to its terms and conditions. Because, because stuff. <laughs> because it's a legitimate fear. Sh- sure. It's, it's dumb. Remember, this is a true story. Motherfucker. Yes, uh... 
Uh, Monday up, update to Lumberyard Games. What the fuck is that? It's Amazon's new gaming division or whatever. Okay. Uh, gaming development engine. All right. An update to their terms of service. Uh, the Lumberyard materials are not intended for the use with the life-critical or safety-critical systems, such as use in operation of medical equipment, automated transportation systems, autonomous vehicles, aircraft or air traffic control, nuclear facilities, manned manned spacecraft, or military use in connection with the live combat. Uh, The addition was, this restriction will not apply in the event of the or event of the occurrence certified by the United States Centers for Disease Control or successor body of a widespread viral infection transmitted via bites or contact with bodily fluids that causes human corpses to reanimate and seek to consume living human flesh, blood, brain, or nerve tissue and is likely to result in the fall of organized civilization. Okay, Amazon. Think their lawyer wrote that? No. <laughs> I mean, they may be in conjunction with somebody else, but... Yeah, I like that this gaming development engine is not intended for use with, you know, medical stuff. I hope not. It's a fucking gaming engine. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm a little in, dark, in the dark with this because I've never heard of Lumberyard. It's new. It's, it's literally, like, brand new. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So there's that. So, yeah. so zombies, they're real people. It's if, happening. If a zombie comes and fucks up your lumberyard shit, Amazon's not liable. Not covered. But I think they are, because it says this restriction will not apply. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. This is kind of dumb. It is kind of dumb. <laughs> but I thought it was funny. Well, you're kind of dumb. <laughs> Fuck me. Let's move on. <laughs> All those people who were like, only seven saws? That's not enough. <laughs> Good news for you. Saw 8 is apparently happening. Uh, it's going to be called Saw Legacy, according to the tracking board, who reports that Lionsgate has hired Josh Stolberg and Pete Goldfinger to, to write the script. Uh, this is the duo behind the remakes of Sorority Row and Piranha 3D. And Stolberg also co-wrote and directed Crawl Space. And Goldfinger is a ska band. Interesting side note. <laughs> um, it's also a James Bond movie. Gold member. Nope, not that one. Um, but you're but on the right track. Pete Goldfinger co-wrote the short-turned feature film Clown, which we reviewed on the show. Not the short. We reviewed the, the full length. It was not, not too good. I don't remember what we gave it. I remember it not being that great. I don't remember what I actually rated it. Apparently, my, probably like a seven. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm, I'm trying to be less impulsive with my ratings. Um, series co-creators James Wan, when he's done making Fast and the Furious movies, uh, is going to, re- to return as a producer as well as Lee Wan L. Uh, why? I don't know. 
We don't need this. Do you know they've got fucking ten? They got plans for ten Fast and the Furious movies total, but ten. We don't need that either. Do you need ten of any movie? Friday Thirteenth. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> we didn't need Manhattan or Goes to Hell. So or space. We didn't need it. I don't care if you like it. We didn't need it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so are you excited for Saw Legacy or what? No. Hasn't Saw been like? Hasn't Jigsaw been dead since like the third one? Yeah. And somehow it's continuing. Uh, there's always seems to be like one more like minion that is like continuing Jigsaw's work. It's like very convenient. Well, and like the first one was great, and then the second one was okay, and then it just became this formulaic bullshit every time. Yeah. It's a bunch of traps, a bunch of blood, and then weird twist ending. Yeah. And it was basically like a goal, like. It's like, how fucked up can we get? Um, you remember the movie Role Models? Sure. Do you remember when the guy's telling the ghost story at the camp? And he's like, and he opened the door and it was Philip, the pizza delivery boy from earlier. That was the Saw movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this twist and you're like, what, what the fuck just happened? Why? That's, That's it? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> It's literally like, oh, the pizza delivery boy is now Jigsaw. What? Why? Or whatever the music is. That's Halloween. You know, the Saw music. Oh, right. The Saw music. I'm sure you'll use it as a bumper to begin this story anyway, so. Maybe. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Fuck. (laughs) Fucking. Fucking dicks. Fucking, Fucking Saw, man. Hey, look what hey. happened. <laughs> Your computer's moving. <laughs> Fucking finally. I unplugged the shit. I mean, I wonder if that had anything to do with it. Okay, so... Maybe you guys will understand this a little better than myself. Maybe you will. I don't I don't know. Uh so Rob Zombie has recently been hinting that there might be the potential for a third movie in the Firefly Firefly family. You always have trouble with it. I know. It's those the Frafla family. Frafla falafel family. I said family. <laughs> I couldn't even make a good joke. <laughs> Too many F's. Too many F's. Too many F's. <laughs> Break me off a piece of that. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. This Taylor, is off the rails. Taylor's drunk. <laughs> I wish. Ah, <laughs> uh, shit. Um. So, okay. So Rob Zombie he posted a uh, the the Devil's Rejects poster on Instagram and the caption said uh, just curious would anybody be interested in watching another movie starring these three characters enough interest and anything can happen not anything that's that's like in the clouds type shit Um, in uh, 2014 Zombie was doing a interview with 
uh, Fangoria magazine, and he said that he wanted a Firefly trilogy. Yeah, I said it right. It's because you'd have to say family afterwards. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, <clears throat> but he told them, uh, I've always wanted to, or I've always thought I'd like to make another movie because I love the characters and I have an idea that I think is solid for a third one, an idea that would make sense. Uh, he said, the, the problem is I don't own the characters now. They're owned by Lionsgate and they just don't have any desire to do anything. So it isn't me not doing it because I don't want to. I don't have the ability to get it done. Um, now, anybody that's seen Devil's Rejects is privy to oh, a little secret. That's what you don't understand. Yeah. Uh, fuck it. I don't, I don't know how exactly how old it is, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to spoil it anyway. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, anybody that's seen it remembers the Fireflies all being dead at the end of the movie. Um. Of course, I, I guess we could never actually see. Oh, it was two thousand five, so we're good. Okay, good. <laughs> right under the wire, <clears throat> or over it, over the wire, over the wire. Yeah, is that a thing? Uh, no, no. Well, it is now. Um, yeah, they get shot up real good. Yeah, and I mean, you don't come back from that. No, this this wasn't like a. Uh, ambiguous thing like they got in a shootout with the police and they got shot a lot yeah they got blasted blap 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 <laughs> clapped up <laughs> um so yeah i don't know if it would be a prequel then but uh, then are you doing a prequel to house with housing corpses if, if that's the case, then you can't put the same three people in it because they're fucking ten years older. They're so old. Yeah. Just look at them. They're old. <laughs> uh, I mean, God. I mean, we, you know, we saw Sid Haig last year. And he looks old. Yeah. Uh, um, I guess Mosley was there, too. He, I mean, he looks... He looks pretty much the more same. More or less the same. And I mean, you put that beard on him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and you know, Sherry Moon, she's, she looks good for a woman her age, but you know, she's, she's looking pretty old too. Yeah. I well, not like grandma old, but, um, so, I mean, just like doing a prequel, it's like, you got to completely recast because it's not going to be believable. Yeah. I don't know, but I didn't dawn on me because I didn't really think about how that movie ended, but yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't make any sense to do another sequel unless it's like other members of the family. But then that, then the the Instagram post doesn't make any sense. So yeah. I have no idea. And then he can't put his wife in it. <laughs> oh, that's when has her being dead stopped him from putting her in a movie? She was dead in Halloween. She was still in H two. Fair enough. Uh, but uh, like he said, you know, Lionsgate owns the characters. The thing is, <clears throat> as you remember from our last story. Like five minutes ago. <laughs> At least five minutes. Uh, Lionsgate seems to want to be resurrecting old franchises because apparently they're out of ideas. Um, and they're bringing back Saw. And again, you know, Jigsaw has been dead since, like you said, like the third movie. Yeah. So it's possible. It is possible. I don't know how they'll 
get that done, but I mean, I don't know. He's got an idea and it's uh, solid. <laughs> yeah. So he says, but this would have to be after the blood mania sex, witch orgy maker dispenser. Right. Movie. <laughs> God, what are you doing, Rob? <laughs> he done lost his damn mind. <laughs> um, we'll see. I'm not holding my breath. No, <laughs> this will probably not happen. Stand in the place where you live now. No. Think about direction. Wonder why you have it now. Stand in the place where you So, the new movie based on Stephen King's The Stand is now on hold. Yay! Because the director, Josh Boone, is working on another Stephen King adaptation. Boo! I don't understand. Why is he pushing one to the side to work on another one? Probably because... Why not finish the one you're doing? Probably because The Stand is going to take a thousand fucking years to finish. (laughs) Oh, he's supposed to be two movies, huh? Uh, yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. Uh, well, anyways, uh, Boone is moving on to uh, an adaptation of the book Revival. Uh, he's already written the script, so he's a leg up, I guess. Good. Good stuff. Um, Revival is about a charismatic preacher who loses his faith when his wife and child are killed in a tragic accident. Unhinged from the religion that grounded and gave him a conscience... The preacher becomes ruthless in his experimentation to the, into the healing but dangerous power of electrical current, positioning him to act as a godlike faith healer and opening a terrifying Pandora's box. Intertwined with the preacher is a young man with demons of his own who has benefited from the preacher's talents and becomes a reluctant accomplice to his deadly obsession. What? <laughs> I this I, I I don't I don't know this one. Honestly, I've never I've never heard of this one, huh. which is weird because I, I'm at least familiar with most of his books, and this one is just I'm completely well, under my radar. I'll have to remember to ask your dad later. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a weird synopsis. It's it sounds, it's you know it, it sounds like it might be a newer one that sounds kind of more in line with his more recent work. So maybe that's why I'm not familiar with it. Could be. Um, <clears throat> but it, it does sound kind of like right up his alley. Uh, well, Boone says, when I read Revival, I was like, man, did he write this for me? No. No, he did not because he didn't know you then, probably. I don't know what their backstory is, but I imagine they didn't like grow up together or anything. Yeah, he doesn't know who you are. They're not like friends. Well, he probably knows who he is because of the stand. But yeah, he knows him now. If it weren't for that. Yeah. Uh, he went on to say, I'd been on both sides of that pendulum. I call myself a non-believer now, and when I moved to L.A., it was like Neo being pulled out of the Matrix. Oh, my God, none of that stuff is true. But it was what I'd been taught and what I believed in since childhood. I believed in the devil and Jesus, and even now as a non-believer, I'm still fascinated by that world, and Revival is the scariest thing he's written since Pet Cemetery. Nope. He tricks you, drawing you in gently with that narrator's voice and a long time span that reminds you of the Shawshank Redemption or the Green Mile. And then he pulls that rug out from under you in that last act, and you're like, oh my god, what have I gotten myself into? Oh my, oh my god. god. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, okay. I, this is the guy who directed The Fault in Our Stars. Let's keep that in mind. Yeah, fuck this guy. I wish he would not touch Stephen King's stuff. Don't There's, don't touch Stephen King. No touch. No touch. No touching. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Not, not excited for this one. <laughs> nah, no, nah. <laughs> Mainly because of him. Well, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I guess it's, it's a little hard to get excited about something that I'm not familiar with. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's so much Stephen King stuff's getting adapted now, or at least they claim that it's getting adapted. Yet to see any actual results. Except for eleven twenty two sixty three. Yeah, when does that start? Uh, Monday. Oh wow! I don't know. Apparently, Hulu's doing this thing where, like, um, my wife said they did it with the, the Mindy project. My wife. My wife said it, they did it with the Mindy pro, uh, project, where they'd actually do it episodic, like they or uh, like weekly episodes. You know, only release a new episode once a week. But they're right. still Hulu exclusive. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, as, as opposed to Netflix or even Hulu, prior to this, they just released them all as a batch, and you could binge watch binge them. Binge it, yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know if they're going to be doing that with 112263 or not, because it's, it's a four-part miniseries, I believe. Um, and I don't know. I don't either. All right, so check out Revival coming out someday. Or or don't. Don't. <laughs> and then check out The Stand coming 2029. <laughs> Sounds about right. Maybe you'll be alive. Who knows? <laughs> we could all be dead. Oh, shit. That's right. The world is ending on Sunday. Fuck. All right. Ghostbusters 2. Ghostbusters 2. I'm the Invisible Man. I'm the Invisible Man. Incredible how you can. Yep, that's how we ended that segment. <laughs> so Johnny Depp um, is oh, just 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 fucking up. You may remember him as Glenn. Yep, in a Nightmare on Elm Street or Crybaby. No, this is a horror show. We only talk horror. He hasn't been in anything since a Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, got it. Sweeney Todd. Oh, okay, I'll give him Sweeney Todd. Uh, Secret Window. No, that movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, but apparently, according to Deadline, uh, Johnny Depp has signed on to join the Universal team up, the Universal Mar- uh, Universal Avengers. Yep. Um. Uh, as the Invisible Man. So it seems to me like that. you wouldn't need a big name actor to play the Invisible Man, since he's invisible for most of the movie. It's uh, it's a bit baffling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I give Universal credit for going after some big names. I guess, but 
I mean, I don't really want to give them any credit. Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp. They're fucking up. It's, it's not going to be good. It's not. It's going to be so bad. Like, and I like Johnny Depp. Sure. But this is not. I don't like him as a person. I don't know him as a person. I don't really have a strong opinion of him. I don't. I don't want to be friends with him. Because but... <laughs> he creeps you out. I um, yeah. And he'll steal all the he, women. He just has too many bracelets. <laughs> <laughs> but this is going to be bad. This is not a role for him. He looks like he smells like patchouli and cigarettes. He, he does look like that. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I mean, this. I, I don't know. Horror is not for these people. No. Yeah, but and like I know a, that feels like so snobbish. Like, oh, they sell out horror. <laughs> Smoke my cigarette. <laughs> but I mean, just my clothes cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm vaping, bro. Right. I don't know. I just I don't know. This feels dumb. Oh, it's it it's definitely dumb. You're on the right track. <laughs> um. But yeah, so like I said, this is like the next movie that they're the next fucking travesty they're adding to this universal bullshit uh, that's being concocted by Alex Kurtzman and Chris Morgan. Uh, of course, it's a remake of the 1933 film, not the 19 what like 99 film starring who else but Kevin Bacon. That was Hollow Man, yo. Same thing. <laughs> Invisible Hollow. <laughs> It's not the same thing. Same. They're the same thing than the chocolate Easter bunnies that they give you at Easter. Hey, would, you know what? Science. They'd be called invisible. Science and invisibility. Same thing. What? Same movie. Technology. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, remake of the 1993 film, which, of course, was 1933 film, which was, of course, an adaptation of the H.G. Wells book, which was actually pretty good. I haven't seen the 33 movie. Uh, well, I've seen clips of it, I guess, but not the whole thing. Um, but it's a story of a man named Griffin, who was a scientist that developed a formula. Actually, he wasn't a scientist. Well, in the book, he wasn't a scientist. He was a medical student who um, uh, created this concoction that turned him invisible. But being invisible makes Griffin go crazy. <laughs> and there was like no way to change back, right? Yeah, he that, that was after he kind of like realized that man, being invisible kind of sucks. <laughs> he tried to figure I out I only go in the girls locker room so many times. Yeah. Uh he tried to figure out a way to reverse the effects, but but no. No such luck. No. So he goes a bit crazy, like I said. Um, there's, of course, no writer or director yet. Um, I love how they seem to be doing these things backwards. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, we're going to make the movie. So, Johnny, check this out. They're like, all right, look, we need all the biggest stars of 1995. <laughs> Once we have all of them. Then we'll worry about making the movies. Yeah. Script and plot details. Yeah. So John Travolta is the wolf man. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> Get 
Ah, oh, fuck off, man. <laughs> that turned my stomach. <laughs> I'm going to puke all over your head, sir. <laughs> so that's, that's that. That's, that's happening. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. So Jane Levy, who fans would know as Mia from the Evil Dead remake. I do know her as that. I thought you might. Uh, she has joined the cast of a new zombie film called Office Uprising. This is being written by Ian Shore and Peter Gamble and directed by Stephen C. Miller, the director of the Silent Night. That is, of course, the pseudo remake of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Indeed it is. And we reviewed it on the show. Indeed we did. Um, Go back me- and check our 2014 <laughs> Christmas episode. Was it 2000? Yeah, it was 2014. Okay. Uh, Levy joins Brenton Thwaites, who is one of the stars of Oculus, which we reviewed on the show. Yes, we did. Uh, I think we were some of the the very few people in the world that actually... That seemed to like it, yeah. liked it. Um, Office Uprising is set inside one of the world's leading arms manufacturers where a substance is slipped into the employees' drinks by the board of directors that supposedly makes them work more efficiently. Due to a slacker within the company, though, they are fed the wrong formula and start turning into homicidal maniacs, leaving the slacker needing to step up his game to rescue himself and his friends from the growing zombie plague inside the company compound. So this is blood-sucking bastards with zombies. Yep. That's exactly what it sounds like. It sounds like they didn't even try. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of hard to tell... If it's actually a comedy. Yeah, I was wondering that as well. Uh, I mean, the fact that, you know, it's basically a, a slacker screws things up and then tries to save the world. I mean, that, that kind of leads you it's, to believe it's comedy. Yeah, it smells like a comedy. Is Thwaites playing the slacker? And then Levy wow. is playing the girl that he's trying to get... He's trying to get with... <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Just like in Bloodsucking Bastards? Yep. So if Joey Kurd's in it, I'll see it. <laughs> Bam, snap. <laughs> Sweet Lou. <laughs> and then I, they just revealed the uh, the sales art today for this, which is a, a severed hand holding what appears to be a can of soda or an energy drink. And that's it. That's the whole poster. Uh-huh. I think the can says Volt on it or something. Jolt. It looks like a Surge can. It's like <laughs> that, that same green. All right. Well. Um, but, I mean, I like I like some of these people. I don't know Ian Shore and Peter Gamble. I don't know what their history is, but um, I do. I like Jane Levy, and I like Silent Night. Yep. But I guess I'm, I'm going to need a trailer. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean... That's it's so impossible to guess what a movie's even going to be like without a trailer now because you know you, you may like the premise of something but it's so easy to fuck it up. Yeah, I mean we don't even know if this is like like we were saying is this a comedy is this like just a straight horror? Or? Yeah, nobody knows.
All right, so we talked before about uh, the summer camp. Not, not even necessarily a slasher show. We don't know. Well, it didn't give it, the, like, the direct implication that it's a slasher No, it show. just said it's a summer camp horror. Right, which leads you to believe it's slasher, but it didn't actually directly say that. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, Dead of Summer is going to be on whatever ABC family used to be. Free, no, it, it's whatever. It's Freeform now. now. Freeform. Yeah. Got it. Um, but we're getting some ca- cast news, casting news. Quite a bit, actually. Yes. Probably the entire cast or most of it. Most of it. Yeah. Um, first off, we've got Zelda Williams from Teen Wolf, uh, the TV show, I would assume. Uh, she's going to play a counselor at Camp Clearwater who's a mysterious loner with no interest in bonding with the rest of her group. Uh, Alberto Frezza from Charlie's Angels. It's, oh, okay. <clears throat> I was going to say, he seems like he might be a little old for <laughs> camper. Uh, but he is starring as Deputy Garrett Sykes, a young... Oh, okay. I don't know. Oh, it was... Charlie's Angels, that was a, a TV show again for a little while, wasn't it? Was it? I think so. Yeah. I don't think anybody watched it. Apparently not. I, I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> yes. Alberto Frezza uh, is the deputy Garrett Sykes, a young deputy who has ties to Camp Clearwater and who grows up immediately suspicious. Sorry, grows immediately suspicious when the events at the camp don't add up. Uh, Eli Gorey from The 100 will play Joel. An aspiring filmmaker who's returning to Camp Clearwater as a counselor and begins to buy into the idea that something weird is happening. <clears throat> Elizabeth Mitchell from Once Upon a Time will play Deb, the new owner of Camp Clearwater, a former camper. Deb presents a warm and welcoming vibe to mask her potentially dark reason for wanting control of the camp. Why does it gotta be dark? Maybe she just likes summer fun. Summer loving. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> okay, there's more. Um, Elizabeth Lale, also from Once Upon a Time, will play Amy, one of Clearwater's newest counselors, and the first to start unraveling its twisted secrets. So she's a troublemaker. So like they're all troublemakers. <laughs> uh. Pretty sure we previously announced these castings. Uh, I don't know if we did. Somebody did. did. I don't remember exactly what we reported on. Just that it existed. <laughs> Just that it's a thing. Um, but Mark in Delicato from Ugly Betty, Ronan Rubenstein from Orange is the New Black, and Paulina Singer from Gotham are also starring. Uh, in case you need a reminder, the show was set in the late 1980s. Late 1980s, uh, school's out for the summer, and a sun-drenched season of first beckons the counselors at Camp Clearwater, a seemingly idyllic Midwestern summer camp, including first loves, first kisses, and first kills. And first blowjobs. Blowies. Uh, Clearwater's no, dark... Well, I don't, know. I don't know how old the campers are. It's probably just hand jobs. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> we all went to camp. We know what goes on. I didn't go to camp. Well, you didn't I, go to camp? I went to camp for school. I didn't go to like summer camp. My cousin got kicked out of camp. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> um, if you didn't, you could have guessed. <laughs> uh Clearwater's dark ancient mythology awakens and what is supposed to be a summer of fun soon turns into one of unforgettable scares and evil at every turn. See, that doesn't sound like a slasher. No, it doesn't. It sounds more supernaturally ancient mysteries kind of thing. Right. But, I mean, if it's a TV show, it could be a multitude of things. This is true. I mean, it maybe just maybe they're just going to pull out all the horror tropes and just incorporate it into a summer camp. Maybe. That's a thing that they could do. It is a thing that they could do. Uh, production is set to begin in March. That's soon. It is soon. You going to watch it? I might give it a shot. Yeah, I probably will. Although, this, it's ABC Family, more or less. So I don't know how, how good it's going to be. But. Yeah. So the British stage show Ghost Stories, which I've heard very good things about. I've heard no things. I've, I've heard rave reviews. Uh, it's now being turned into a feature film. The playwrights Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman will script the movie as well as direct, and Nyman will reprise his role of Professor Philip Goodman. Uh, the movie's also going to star George McKay and Martin Freeman, who you may know from the Cornetto trilogy. Yep. He was in all three. He was in all three. Mm-hmm. Or Sherlock. Yep. So, uh, Watson. Watson. Yeah. Um, Ghost Stories is about Philip Goodman, a professor of psychology and arch skeptic who has his rationality tested to the hilt when he receives a letter apparently from beyond the grave. His mentor, Charles Cameron, the original TV parapsychologist, went missing 15 years before, presumed dead, and yet now he writes to Goodman saying that the pair must meet. Cameron, it seems, is still very much alive, and he needs Goodman to find a rational explanation for three unsolved cases that have shaken Cameron to his core. As Goodman investigates, he meets three haunted people, each with a tale more frightening, uncanny, and inexplicable than the last. Gradually, Goodman unearths a hidden truth more terrifying still that will pull his life apart. This is scheduled to start filming in September. What do you think? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Could be cool. (laughs) That's all right. Uh... Like I said, I've heard really good things about the the stage show. I've heard it's actually really scary. Really? Yeah. That's weird of a stage show. Yeah. I don't know. When people say things, something's really scary, I really have to take it with a grain of salt. Sure. Because I know a lot of people are just pussies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could see a stage show, like, the, the ability to make it really scary, though, because you are, like, immersed in it. That's true. I mean, you know... That's how William Castle did it. I mean, it was fucking corny, like, 1950s shit, but... And he also electrocuted people, which you just couldn't do now. Yeah. Because <laughs> people got their lawyers and... and their unions and... <laughs> their civil rights. And <clears throat> um, but, uh... 
yeah, I mean, immersive thrills. That's that definitely adds to it. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's what they do or not, but yeah. Um, but no, I mean, like this is kind of off track a little bit, but like as far as finding something that is actually truly frightening, I don't know. It's it's hard to do. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm sure if anybody can relate, it's you, because um, I feel like we're probably in the same boat. But it, you know, let's. It's like I'm trying to think of a, something to write in a book, like just a subject. Um, I feel like if I were to get an idea, it would probably come pretty uh, swiftly. But um, getting that idea is just hard to do, and like you know, a lot of authors will say, well, horror authors, I should say, um, they'll, they'll suggest, you know, we'll, we'll write about what scares you because if it scares you, then odds are it's going to scare somebody else too. And it's like, okay, yeah, good advice, but I don't know what scares me. <laughs> I'm a man's man. Nothing scares me. I'm tough. Well, it's like, see, I, I try to like, like be real with myself. It's like, Okay, yeah, I mean, it's like I can, you know, watch horror movies and, and, you know, like, act like nothing really scares me. But it's like, and, you know, I try to, like, get down deep and it's like, what really scares me? I can't fucking think of anything. <laughs> it's like, I know there has to be something, but I fucking don't know what it is. <laughs> hmm. Anyway. Spiders. Spiders? No. Yeah. Not spiders. Oh. Pickles. Pickles? Pickles. Pickles! <laughs> Cunt pickle! <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So, um, yeah. Stage show. Was this, this was a... It's a stage show being adapted into a movie. In a movie, okay. I wasn't sure if it was... With Martin movie. Freeman. Right. So, watch for that. So, oh uh, God, this, it's, it's been several years since Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption came out, which was kind of like a, almost like Grand Theft Auto a little bit set in the Old in West. In the Old West, yeah. Um, those, those of you that played it might also remember that they, much like kind of like uh, um, Black Ops now, had... Um, a zombie add-on. Undead Nightmare. Right. Did you play the game? Uh, not Undead Nightmare. I uh, played Red Dead Redemption. Okay. Uh, I, I never owned it. I just kind of played it when somebody had it wherever I might be, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, the, the writer and designer of the game uh, is working on an actual zombie full-length zombie game. Um, Christian Cantamessa is developing a game called Moving Hazard. It's going to take place 50 years after the start of a zombie apocalypse, which is an interesting take. Yeah, you never really see anything that far in the future. Yeah, and then I think in most cases, 
you can kind of just assume that the world's dead by then. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, the only thing I think of right offhand is Land of the Dead was, you know, a good deal after the, the initial outbreak. I don't know exactly how many years, but... Well, didn't it take... I mean, it took place in the same canon as Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. So, theoretically, like 30, 40 years. Oh, if it was in real time? I mean, yeah, maybe. I, suppose. I, I don't know. I suppose. <clears throat> But uh, it's going to be a team-based competitive first-person shooter, so kind of like Black Ops. Yeah, or Halo. Sure. Um, But, uh, yeah. Um, The premise is 50 years after the collapse of of civilization due to a fast-moving and unstoppable zombie plague, what remains of humanity has been retreated to a handful of fortified military bases and left everything in between to the shambling corpses of a zombie majority. In order to survive, your squad must venture out into the wasteland and face off with their with other survivors for control of important resources and strategic command points. So it almost sounds maybe a little like Fallout, too. The thing that's confusing me is that it says it's a competitive first-person shooter, so you're not working together. But it's also team-based. So are you... I, I'm, I guess that's... You're on a team competing against other teams. Okay. So, like, me and you could both play on my Xbox and then play online with someone from Bangladesh or something. Sure, yeah. (laughs) With a friend in Vietnam. (laughs) Um, So it almost sounds like a a competitive version of uh, Left 4 Dead. uh, Yeah. 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 Hmm. <clears throat> yes, let me stroke my beard. Uh, I like it. I yeah, I mean, it sounds cool. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm fucking terrible at first-person shooters. I just cannot get that technique down. There- I've never been very good at it either. When, when you have to like move the like one joystick moves like your body, and the other one moves your eyes, you know. Yeah, I, I, and I, I know I explained that terribly, but no, I get it. Uh, anybody plays games, I'm sure understood. But like, I've never had an issue with that. It's for me. It's uh, that's always been my thing. Because then I'm just like shooting. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just spraying bullets, hoping something hits someone. <laughs> uh, for me, it's always been an issue um, of being able to aim. You know, in, in a first person shooter. Well, yeah, that's pretty essential. More or less, what I'm saying. Um. So yeah, I mean, like like moving around, I've never really had a big issue with that. It's like trying to get my fucking gun to point point in the right place, right. you know. And especially trying to aim on the move. Yes, there are people that's that are, almost impossible. Yeah, there are people that are fucking pros at it. Well, those people are good at what they do. <laughs> they have a active part of their brain that I guess they, we, we, we don't, don't apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, no, but I mean, like I'll, I have fun with like you know Left for Dead, mm-hmm. um, uh, Black Ops was like my parents got me Black Ops for Christmas one year, like it was the first one, um, and uh, I was fucking terrible at it. Yeah, but uh, I was played the, the zombie one, which was always fun. Like I 
the, the story itself and you know the war based stuff. Like war games have never really appealed to me. Mm-hmm. I've just, I haven't had much of an interest in you know Medal of Honor or, or yeah, me neither. shit like that. Um, but uh, the zombie one was was always pretty fun. I got I got a good amount of game time out of that. But um, yeah, wasn't good at it. Was not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, no word on what. Uh, 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 what are those things called? Games? No, the system. Consoles? <laughs> yeah. Nowhere on what consoles this is going to be available for, uh, if it's going to be PC or if it's actually going to be on the, the next-gen gaming consoles. But I think I would like to play it. like to give it a shot. Oh, sure. Yeah. I just, you know, a lot of people really liked the um, art, art of Red Dead Redemption. I wasn't a big fan of it, and since the designer of the game is creating this one, you have to maybe think that's probably going to be pretty similar. Mm, yeah, I hope it's not, just because it is. It was like this mixture of like realism and like cartooniness, and I just wasn't a big fan. Hmm. But I'll probably try it either way. Yeah. Uh, moving on to remains, all of our remains are casting news. <laughs> so are they really? Yeah. Well, <laughs> except for the very last one. Um, so starting with Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, Ben Vereen has been cast as Doctor Scott. Anna Lee Ashford has been cast as Columbia, and Christina Milian has been cast as Magenta. You may know her from a Ja Rule song. I don't remember which one, but she was in one of them. Every little thing that we do. Should be between me and you. The freaky things that we do. Should we keep? Should we between me and you, baby? Is murder? Yep, that's the whole song. That's the one. So yeah, she's apparently going to be in it. Magenta was what the maid. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, Danny McBride. Now, you know Danny McBride. If you've watched Eastbound and Down, uh, Pineapple Express, uh, This is the End, you know Danny McBride. Um, (laughs) Due date? Huh? Due date? Time to go to Chili's and hang out with my fucking boys. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. Oh, shit. Um. Anyway, so he's in talks to join a film that we've talked about a few times now. Uh, a little space adventure <laughs> called Alien Covenant. It's an odd choice. Yeah. Uh, so, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know what's happening. I mean, is this going to be? Like Bill Paxton in Aliens 2. Game uh, over, man. Aliens. Game over. Yeah. I mean, he, he was not like a strictly comedic role, but he was definitely the comedy relief in that yeah. movie. But uh, I, Maybe. I don't know how I take this fucker even a little seriously. Yeah. I mean, what if he still has the mullet? Oh, I hope he still has the mullet. <laughs> That's like his signature. Yeah. 
Um, Alicia Witt, who you may know from Friday Night Lights or possibly Justified. I know Tony was a big Justified fan. I don't know her by name. Uh, she has joined The Walking Dead as someone. <laughs> no one knows who. Some fucking person. I'm sure someone knows who, but they're not in this room right now. Yeah, probably like the people that make the show. The casting director, probably. Alicia Witt. Let's see. Oh, her. Okay. Yep. I don't recognize her from Adam. Justified, but. Oh. Uh, no, she was in Urban Legend. The redhead? Oh, yeah. She was the, the survivor girl. Yeah. So that. So that. That's movie sucked. That was not good. <laughs> uh, Lee Majors and Ted Raimi are coming on to season two of Ash vs. Evil Dead whenever that happens. Man, I looked at Sam Raimi. Oh, go ahead and say who they're playing first, and then I'll say my thing. Uh, Lee Majors is playing Ash's dad, Brock Williams. Dude, I, okay, so I just saw a recent picture of Lee Majors. This is great fucking casting. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I just, in my head, I still had, you know, Steve Austin in my in my mind, uh-huh. and I was like, I, I guess. Then, like, I saw a more recent picture, and I was like, oh, fuck, yes. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Was that earlier today we were emailing about that? Or was it no, yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Million Dollar Man is uh, playing Ash's dad. Ted DiBiase? No, no, no. Not not the wrestler. You know, Steve Austin. Stone Cold? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, and Ted Raimi is going to play Ash's childhood Fred, Chet Kaminsky. Uh, season two is going to be 10 half hour episodes. Naomi Watts and Tom Sizemore are headed to Twin Peaks. Uh, reportedly, these are unconfirmed reports from Deadline. Uh, there's also a rumor that David Lynch may be reprising his role as FBI Chief Gordon Cole. I fucking hope so. I, God, I hope so. I love that character. He's one of the best. So good. Uh, and I hope that Sizemore can keep his nose out of the blow <laughs> yeah I don't know he may be clean I don't know uh, Jackie Earl Haley you know famous for don't you fucking say it <laughs> don't you dare fucking say it <laughs> Watchmen say Watchmen Watchmen um, he's going to guest star on Preacher uh, which has yet to debut um, he's going to play a villain, a villain, a villain what named a villain. It's like a civilian without the sit. It's a young calf who lives a civilian life. A villain. Shut up. Uh, he's going to play a villain named Odin Quincannon. Uh, Odin is described as a small, decrepit man with an unscrupulous iron will necessary to be the most powerful man in Anvil County, Texas. The chief employer in town, Odin runs Quincannon Meat and Power, a 125-year-old family-run cattle slaughterhouse business. He's going to have a six-episode arc, which is probably most of the season. So, Have you seen... It's not really an arc. You didn't read Preacher, right? No. Have I'm, you seen a picture, though, of this character? No. It's good casting. Is it? Yeah. Nice. 
Uh, you know that stupid fucking Exorcist TV show that we talked about last episode? Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, they're still moving forward with it, and some asshole named Rupert Wyatt, who directed Rise of the Planet of the Apes, is going to produce the pilot. So, Rupert Wyatt, you can fuck right off. Yeah, fuck you too, man. And that's it for horror business. Ah, <laughs> uh, that was uh, weird. I don't know. <laughs> okay, it didn't didn't seem like it flowed as well as it usually does. Yeah, it was kind of a mess. Maybe because it's late. Maybe we're going after work instead of in the daytime when we normally do. Yeah. So there's that. Anyway. <laughs> Um, we do have an interview, which probably adding to why we're a mess because we've already been doing this for a while. Yeah. But, uh, we had an interview with the author of the books, The Anatomy of Fear and Horror Films by Subgenre, A Viewer's Guide. Uh, talked to Chris Vanderkay. Let's check it out. Hey everyone, you're here with Skeletoni and Taylor of Terror. And today we have a special guest with us. Uh, first time, I think, ever we've got an author with us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Usually uh, kind of people directly involved with the film industry, but uh, this is our first uh, foray into literature. Um, but uh, we're here with the author of a couple uh, couple books, uh, The Anatomy of Fear. And horror films by subgenre, uh, a viewer's guide. Uh, we're here with Chris Vanderkay. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. Thank you guys both for for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, my wife and co-writer Kathy uh, sends her appreciation as well. Although she lets me do the shameless self promotion. So. <laughs> She's a shy one. <laughs> yeah, she writes so that uh, that's how she puts her words into the world. She doesn't feel the need to also talk. You know, that's fair. I, I've known a few writers in my life and a lot of them are that way. They just, they don't, they prefer to strictly speak with the, with the writing and not with words. Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody's like me where I'm just basically just trying to get anyone to listen to me. So I'll do it in any form imaginable. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I guess to start off with, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your background, how you kind of came to, uh, came to writing. Well, um, Ironically, you were saying that this is the first time you've spoken to an author, but actually Kathy and I, our career started primarily in film, in independent film. Um, we've written a couple of films. We had, if you promise not to tell anyone else, we had a movie that premiered on the um, Hallmark Movie Channel a couple of years back. So, oh. you know, we've had, we've had a few projects, but um, primarily what we find ourselves, the niche that we find ourselves in as authors is um, related to the study of horror films, the serious study of horror films. There are a lot of people who write um, about horror films on the internet or write about film and books, but they generally tend to take a fan perspective. And while we are obviously fans, the thing that was of interest to us was to try and take serious looks at, at horror films because many of what you would consider, in quotes, critics don't take it seriously. And I feel like that's really unfair to horror because in some ways horror is a more fertile place to talk about basically anything you want to talk about than almost any other genre because you can do it through symbolism and through allegory with whatever 
creatures or stories you're working on. So uh, it was of interest to us to sort of explore that idea of like why are people attracted to horror even though horror is in theory supposed to be repelling you. It's an idea. The idea is it's supposed to scare you or repel you and yet we're drawn to it. And so we started writing about that and um, we originally did a podcast called The Anatomy of Fear which eventually became a book where we interviewed filmmakers and then um, after that book came out we got a lot of positive reception so we decided to try and, and you know parlay that into another book and that's how horror films by subgenre came about. Cool. And so uh, you said you actually started in, in film. So um, I, I guess what uh, what inspired you to to write? I mean, that's I mean, I guess it's not a terrible jump, but it's it's different. It's definitely a change in medium. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'd hate to boil it down to just this. We have we we love working in the publishing world, but the truth of the matter is, it's very hard to get the number of people and the amount of money that you need to make films. It is much easier when the two of us are sitting in a room writing a book for that book to be done without anybody else's help. And then it's just a matter of trying to find someone who puts it out. Um, with a film, when you write a screenplay, that is step one of ten. And there are nine more steps before the thing that you've made is ever even legitimately anything. You know, there are, I mean, I'm sure you guys know the millions of people that call themselves screenwriters that have never had anything made. And um, just the unfortunate truth of it is that e even in this industry now with uh, less books being produced, it's still in some ways actually easier if you're a good writer to get a book published than it is to get a film made. I, I can believe that. It uh, seems like the, the world of film has become so oversaturated. You know, people uh, mo you know, moving to L.A. with their head in the clouds and, you know, it, it, it seems like – the the medium of, of of books and you know literature has been not not quite forgotten, but a lot of people have left it behind for the film world. So it seems like there might be a lot of open space and you know a room to fill. I guess. Yeah. Well, and there's still sort of like I always use the comparison of sort of like the uh, there's poverty, there's the middle class, and there's the uber rich, and the, the middle class has been disappearing, and that's kind of the same with film. There's super low budget movies, and then there's your summer tent poles. And the mid-range stuff has kind of vanished. So you either toil in obscurity or you're working in an enormous movie, but there's really no in-between. And there there really is still kind of an in-between when you're writing in books. It, it seems like the film industry has gotten very incestual, too. It's like it's, it's the, de the like epitome of it's who you know, not what you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, in, and to a degree, too, because um, content has become such a premium now, um, you know, I mean, there are, I would say, probably – ten times as many ways to watch television shows as there were uh, a decade ago. And because of that, um, there are more shows, but the irony is now, instead of there being more actors working and more writers working, they're just the same people working on more different shows, you know? Uh, if that's the truth. So, what... Like, did you grow up watching a lot of horror movies? Um, I actually... I think I have a very different entree into the world of horror than most people. My parents were very strict and, and very religious. My father is a minister. So I had not seen even an R-rated film until I was 17, let alone a horror film. Um, the closest, I guess, you could say that I saw to, being, to horror films, there was a couple of Disney movies like Watcher in the Woods and films like that that were like spooky but weren't really, you know, they weren't going to give you nightmares if you were 12 or 13. Um but the, so the first horror films that I ever saw it was sort of the one-two punch uh, when I was seventeen of John Carpenter's The Thing and the original Halloween, nice. um, which is probably best that that's what I started with because um, I, you know I could have started with a lot of terrible eighties stuff and what I ended up with was 
sort of the best of the late 70s and the, and the best of the mid-80s, um, ironically both from John Carpenter. But it kind of formed what I ended up thinking of horror, which was when I first started watching, the first two movies I saw were really intelligent, really sophisticated movies uh, that were toying around with the idea of what we fear and why we fear it. And I kind of ended up for a very long time sort of chasing that high and being a little bit disappointed because I was like, well, I thought, okay, I thought this is what horror was. And then, you know, you go from the first Halloween to, you know, prom night and there's an, an enormous drop off in, you know, interested in quality. Not that there isn't something to enjoy about prom night, but it's certainly on a different level than something like the original Halloween. And so it took me a while to figure out not only what I was interested in looking for, but also what movies like prom night had to say that I wasn't immediately seeing the first time around. So we we like did you get into horror and say this is where I want to go? Like I I want to write about horror because I'm so interested in horror. Or were you already a writer and then once you got interested in horror, you decided that was going to be? Yeah, I have for a very long time been interested in. Um, I wanted to be a filmmaker basically since I understood what movies were. The idea of just creating false environments that seemed real that were. Uh, compelling enough to pull you in that you just wanted to be a part of them was fascinating to me before I even understood, I think, on a sophisticated level, what that meant. Like, even before I understood that they were fake, I wanted to be involved in them somehow. So it was great when I was old enough to understand that there was a thing that people made. You know, like, I think there's a certain point at which you realize what, and, you know, I come from an older generation, so we didn't have the immediacy of, like, if you go on the internet, you People just tell you how you can make a movie. When I was a kid, that didn't really exist. So you sort of had to seek that out on your own. And when I understood that it was a job, it was something you could do, I was really excited because I thought, okay, well, if someone does it, maybe I could be one of those someones. And it sort of transpired from being a filmmaker of any kind to being a screenwriter to then being just a writer broadly. Yeah, and I mean, I can kind of speak for myself or, you know, relate on a certain degree that uh uh you know i i remember being a kid and aspiring to be an actor but then i realized i was much too introverted for that <laughs> so uh i kind of said oh well you know i'm i'm pretty creative i could probably write a movie and mm-hmm. then when it's just like okay well i don't while while i have a, a real strong appreciation for film and like how movies are how films are created uh it's just like i don't really have that i, I don't know like i it just the, a certain something that somebody who would be a screenwriter has i just i just didn't have it i guess <clears throat> so well, yeah kathy and i say all the time if there's anything else you want to do do that instead like it sounds like discouraging uh advice but the truth is so few people make it that the only way you're going to make it is to literally not be able to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to do that. And that's the only way you're going to be able to, you'd be willing to take the abuse and the deprivation and the lack of success that goes on for such a long time before you finally land, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, kind of like you, it's like recently I've kind of started to explore my ability to just write. I mean, just to, to be a novelist and, uh, that's slow going, but I feel like I'm making more headway in it than I ever would have as, as a screenwriter. So, um, yeah, and it's, there's uh, one of the things people don't talk about is they say that you know that writing is a dying art, but really it's just it's the print world that is struggling right now. Yes. People are more in need of reading content than ever before. People uh, devour it. The difference is just that uh, the 
the industry needs to figure out how to capitalize on that and institutionalize it instead of just, you know, people going online and reading whatever someone has posted somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. to find a way to, you know, people have, have found ways to monetize YouTube. People will figure out how to monetize um, the new way to write too. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like myself, and I've, I've talked about it on the show a few times, uh, it's like, you know, between, you know, I work at nine to five. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an office person and, uh, you know, between that and doing this podcast and, you know, everything else I've got going on, it's just like, I, I, I don't find the time to read. I mean, I, I probably could if I tried really hard, but it's just not there. So I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks, and it's like, it's kind of a cheater's way out, I guess, but I, you know, I'm still getting that, still getting that, uh, that fix, I guess. Yeah, and I also think that's another thing. I mean, podcasting has been a huge boon to me. We would never have been able to write either of these books had it not been the advent of, you know, time-shifted entertainment where you could listen to it on your own time. I used to be a landscaper before I became a novelist, and I worked 10 hours a day. And it was shows like this that kept me in, uh, you know, I I would have lost my mind if I was just walking for 10 hours a day weeding. (laughs) But being able to have this, you know, put on gun muffs over my headphones and then listen to shows – that were talking about the stuff I was interested in, I would learn stuff. I would start to build ideas and theories that would eventually become books. And and so I, I feel like, you know, people think that this is a, a pastime and it's fun. You know, podcasts are not going to uh, create people's careers. But in some ways, I find it more valuable than uh, stuff that is dedicated, uh, you know, from, from paid radio shows that are doing it. Because the only reason people are doing what you guys are doing is because they're passionate about it. And that passion comes through. And other people who are passionate about it can connect to it in a way that people who are just sort of bloodlessly talking about whatever because it's part of their job will never connect with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I think that's part of the inspiration for us starting the show in the first place is that like, it's like okay, well, you know, there are people out there like us that are passionate about horror in particular, but it's just like maybe they don't really have the time. Like they don't they don't know what movies are good and what you know what what they should see, and they don't really know what's going on in the horror world. It's, as far as news, and that's kind of where our our standard came from, I guess. So. But yeah, and, and I love it too. I, like you know, Kathy and I sort of consider ourselves curators of horror. We watch everything and then try to pass the good stuff along to everyone else. And we don't tr- we try not to talk bad about stuff. So we don't say don't watch this. We just try to focus on what to watch and sort of be you know the second strain. You know, the first strain is did it get produced and did someone put it out? The second strain is us. Hopefully, they're catching the best bits, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the third train is us telling people what not to watch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You are the thin blue line between order and chaos. <laughs> I don't think anyone listens to us, though. We usually have an opposite opinion of everyone else. So. Yeah. You are the loyal opposition. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, enough about us. Let's talk about you. <laughs> um, so uh, I guess let's, let's start further back uh, with the anatomy of fear. Um, you said that was it was a, a book that was inspired by a podcast that you did, used to do. Um, how long did that go on? Um, it went on for a little under a year. It actually ended up being much more successful than we thought it was going to be. Originally, it was just going to be uh, we take one movie a week and we discuss what we called the skin segment and the bone skin segment. The skin was all the technical aspects, the surface stuff, you know, the cinematography and all that kind of stuff. And then the bones was the philosophical stuff, the uh, – allegorical commentary, what was going on culturally with the film, those sorts of things. But uh, the first episode we did was for the mini, the original miniseries V, and we were lucky enough to get an interview with the original creator, Kenneth Johnson. And so that was great. So nice. I thought, well, let's just see if we can get anybody else. 
so we started writing and we got a huge response because when you are respectful and knowledgeable about people's work and you can you know not waste their time they appreciate that and are often willing to devote their time to what it is that you're doing and we ended up doing uh, probably I don't know, 25 30 shows um, with an interview in every episode and we so we started to really build a, a roster of people and the problem was that it was we were limited to one episode or one movie a week so we thought well if we write a book we can talk about every movie that that person has worked on so we'll talk to the person talk about all of their projects and then we can split it thematically in the book according to theme you know like um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember like we had a section on uh, the supernatural we had a section on uh, hybrid genres we had a section on horror comedy you know we split it up according to the kind of movie that it was and then we could go into real depth about um, what their ideas were behind it, their philosophies, what things they didn't realize they were doing that have since become like the well-known things about a movie. You know, there are sometimes things that happen culturally you're not even keeping track of, but when you look back, you're like, "Wow, how did I not realize I was commenting on that when I made that movie?" And so that was our real interest in in putting the book together was to try and sort of have a. Uh, it's almost like the conversation you had in a movie theater lobby with a friend after you've seen a movie, except. Instead of the friend, it was the filmmaker who made it. Yeah, and that, that's that's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, fortunately, uh, we just got your books. I think it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry yeah. about the delay on that. Oh uh, well, I think that that was our fault. We dropped the ball on that one. But um, you know, I tried to you know kind of breeze through them as quickly as possible, and you know, see what I could could pull from them in a short amount of time. But uh, some. Uh, pretty impressive interviews um i mean were, were these people that you had on your podcast or are these uh people that you've uh kind of discovered along the way um a couple of them come on the show uh eduardo sanchez from the blair witch project had come on the show and um i think maybe one or two others jt petty probably uh who made the burrowers but uh most of the other people that we had were people who we had contacted and we're going to come on the show and basically we got back in contact with them and said listen instead of a 20 minute interview for our show would you be interested in talking to us for an hour hour and a half we could talk about your whole body of work and have this be a book and and they were really excited about that um i I think people who work really hard to make good work are interested in talking about their work and if you show them that you have respect for what they've done and you know what you're talking about and you're not going to waste their time um by and large people once you can get past you know, agents and managers, they're interested in talking about their work and they'll take the time to talk to you. And we just got lucky in that a lot of them, we were able to bypass those other, the roadblocks, you know, the agents and the managers and they were excited and great with their time. And, you know, we still are in contact with many of them now, you know, we haven't worked on any projects with them, but we're, you know, friends and we still communicate pretty regularly. And, and, uh, they've just been a, a huge asset to us in our career. And also it's nice to be able as a, as a fan of work, to be able to use your whatever level of celebrity we have to further someone else's career if they're doing great stuff. So um, looking over this list of the people in this book, there's some heavy hitters on here. you got Larry Fessenden and Tom Holland, people behind Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Uh, when you met these people, were you just like totally geeking out all over the place? Because I know I would. <laughs> Yeah, well, I did that the 20 minutes before the interview started. Like, I would, <laughs> I would do it on my own, in my own time, Kathy and I. And, and like, I, for basically the day before, I would be like, you know that I'm talking to the guy who made Habit. And, like, 
in like a less than a day. And I would do that for about a day and sort of try and get it out of my system so that by the time it was coming up to the interview, Kathy was sick of hearing me say it. She's like, just get over it. You're just talking to another human. And so like it would sort of put me in the right headspace to to begin to talk to them. And then the other thing that always helps with me is that I write down a lot of ideas of things we could talk about, but I attempt not to make a set questions list because particularly with someone as smart as Larry Fessenden, um, the most interesting things you're ever going to hear are the things that you did not expect were going to come up in conversation. So if he says something interesting, follow that thread because that's possibly way more interesting than whatever standard questions you might have jotted down, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's something we've kind of figured out kind of the hard way recently. <laughs> um, you know, we, we were pretty amateurish when we first started doing interviews on in the show, and we did exactly what you said you don't do. Like, we just make a list of questions and stick to that. And, like, don't expand beyond that because if we if we do, then it's out of control. We don't know where it's going. But now it's like, I mean, we still write out our list of questions, but we don't really stick to it. Sometimes we don't even ask them. Yeah, if we miss, you know, one or two questions, it's like, oh, well, it, it turned out well, so it doesn't matter if we miss those questions. Yeah, yeah, and it's like jazz in the, in the sense that you have a skeleton to work from, but it's only there to give you enough comfort to be able to dive off in a different direction whenever you feel like it's going to benefit, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you said earlier, it's like if you are interested in somebody's work, like genuinely, and ask them about something they're passionate about, they'll, you know, talk for days about it, so. yeah. Well, that was the amazing thing about um, – uh, there's a, a filmmaker in the book named Lance Mungia, and a lot, a lot of people know him. He's not a very well-known name, but he made the f- I don't know if it's the third or the fourth Crow film. Um, but he is known uh, most – I don't want to say notoriously, but sort of like in an Indian indie movement. He did a film in the 90s called Six String Samurai, which is, I think, a genius film. Still to this day, I think it holds up as the only other movie besides Mad Max – that perfectly captures the insanity of the sort of the post-apocalyptic landscape. It hasn't, it, it didn't sort of, it grew stale really quickly. And it's the only other one that I kind of love in that same arena. But Lance Munji is such a smart, such a passionate guy. And you would never know that the guy who made the martial arts post-apocalypse musical was so well-versed in basically anything you could ever ask him about. <laughs> so he made, he made some of the most interesting points that, we're in the entire book, and, and there's just these huge chunks where I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and let Lance talk because I could never write something this interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. It's like I think people kind of answer better questions that they ask themselves than we could ever ask. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so so moving on to horror films by subgenre, what, what inspired you to kind of make this almost like encyclopedia of horror what was the, I think it was sort of twofold. The first being that Kathy and I realized it was a Kathy's idea entirely, the format for The Anatomy of Fear, which is originally I was going to do like J.T. Petty and then just the interview of everything that we talked about. And she said, oh, that's going to be tough because uh, if people don't know who J.T. Petty is, are they just going to sit through this whole interview not knowing who he is? And you know, and then you go for movie after movie. She said, why don't you break it thematically like I was talking about, you know, a section about vampires or not of this world is just – uh, or the future, you know, and then by breaking it like that thematically, we start to notice there are patterns coming out. When I stick Larry Fessenden's conversation about vampires next to Tom Holland's conversation about Fright Night, we start to see parallels. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So that was the first key that I realized. Well, this this idea of linking it thematically is really interesting. And then the other thing that was interesting to us is wanting to work with McFarland, the company that uh, eventually was the publisher of this book. Um, they do amazing work in. 
I get I, I sort of call it like pop culture scholarly work where they do scholarly work, but it's um, regarding uh, pop material, you know, movies, of, of, you know, film and television, sports and entertainment, um, but taken seriously. And so it's a really interesting – they keep a foot in two worlds, and in that way, they appeal to two different kinds of people. They appeal to the, the just the pop culture fans, but then they also appeal to the people who are interested in taking something more seriously at the same time. And so the idea of making it a closer to an educational book and then eventually an actual educational book for McFarlane was the other motivation for the, the way that we decided to form this. Um, and also the fact that horror puts out more movies than basically any other genre every single year. <laughs> and the irony being that even if there's 100 movies come out, you could still put almost every one of them into one of the subcategories that we, we discovered. And that was really fascinating to us. We're like, in a way... Something about subgenres is comforting to people. Like they'll seek out, you know, people love their cannibal movies or they love their zombie movies and they'll look for those or their slashers. I mean, that's probably the most well known one. But people love that loyalty to that specific subgenre. And so that interests us. What's the philosophy behind that? Why do people avoid movies about claustrophobia or being buried alive, but they love movies about killer animals? You know, what's, what's in the, uh, the human's lizard brain that says, this is appealing to me and that terrifies me, so I won't watch it? Yeah, we, we've always talked about how people will ask you, you know, what's your favorite horror movie? And it's like, oh, that's such a hard question. Mm-hmm. Like if you break it down into what's your favorite zombie movie, what's your favorite slasher movie, it's, it's much easier to answer that way. Yeah. Well, no one ever says, what's your favorite drama? You know, yeah. like it's – well, that's kind of just like saying what's your favorite movie because at that point every film has drama. So, you know, like, oh, what's your favorite song? That's, okay. Can you narrow it down more than that? There have been – millions of songs in the world and i like a lot of them uh so how many subgenres overall did you cover and how did you narrow it down to that that list well we ended up with 75 subgenres um we our aim had initially been 100 and we had enough for 100 we actually had over 100 and we're going to pare down to 100 but the thing we quickly realized was we're going to be recommending three titles for each section which means that we need to have a cursory understanding of each film, if not having watched the entire film so that we can speak intelligently about it. And at 75, that's still 225 movies that we have to cover. That's a lot of ground to cover. So we decided rather than go for quantity, keep it up at 100, and we could have had you know 300 movies we had to cover. We said if we do 75, 225 movies is a lot, but it's not so untenable. We can't make it happen. But it's still a good amount of uh, movies to be able to recommend these three films if you've seen them give you a really solid understanding of what this subgenre represents and that's kind of how we felt and then there's a you know there's a small section underneath called other titles of interest which is like if you happen to just think this one as you're going through them is like oh i really love siege films well now that you know that you like them and you've seen those three here's this little list of other titles and there's a, another six or seven in there that you can you know continue in that subgenre with um, I think all told, it was over 500 movies with the, with just the the name recommendations at the bottom. I think it's over 500 films. Wow! Now, did you <clears throat> excuse me? Did you watch all of those movies, or did you, did were you already familiar with them? I I will say this: I have uh, strong familiarity with all of the ones that we wrote about. I will not lie and say that I've seen all 500. Some of them okay. I was able to recommend based on my knowledge that they fit into a subgenre, sure. whether I'd seen it or not. But we did we did have enough information to feel like not only that 
this title is an exemplary title to represent the subgenre, but also knew enough about its background and, have, and, and watched it to be able to speak about it. But yeah, the other titles of interest, the reason we just mentioned the title is because uh, we didn't want to misrepresent that we were saying not only that this was an exemplary title, but that we had seen it. These are just like, if you liked those, these are other ones that are kind of like it, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, you know, we had a, a limited amount of time to, to read through these. So I, I just kind of skimmed through and I found, you know, a few particulars that I was really interested in read through them. Uh, I mean, and the fact that you did that 75 times, um, I mean, how, how much research went into this? How long, how long did it take you to get all this together? It was, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a, it was a very long process to come up with the ideas. The actual writing of it was not as long as, the time we spent trying to find the inspiration for what that section was going to be about. You know, the idea of, um, I think we mentioned in the siege film section, the idea that uh, uh, the more effective a siege film is, oftentimes the less people even speak in it. Because there's a universality to the idea that people trying to get in where you are and you trying to stop them, you need no other explanation. You need no background. You don't really need to know who the people are because there's an instinctive biological understanding of this is mine, stay away from it. And that was really the key that helped Kathy and I understand how to write that section. So when that, when the lightning struck for that, then you sort of scribble in your, you know, serial killer chicken scratch as much as you possibly can to try and get the idea, the feel of what you want to say there. And then you put that aside. And then once you have, you know, eight or 10 of these, then you sort of start the difficult slog of getting that kernel of an idea up onto the page in a way that's not only compelling, hopefully, but also is clear and concise in in a, a scholarly sense. So that was really the difficult part of the book was having inspiration strike seventy five times. Yeah, can imagine. <laughs> can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was going to go on a rant about the zombie genre, but it looks like we're we're starting to run out of time here, so I guess I'll save it. But I, I think you could make an entire book of this style just on the zombie genre. Well, listen, there may be a follow-up in that. Uh, depending on how long that the um, the flower continues to bloom in the zombie genre, I, uh, the one thing I don't want to do is to try and ride the popularity wave. One of the things that Kathy and I are interested in is it's much more interesting to look at a craze or, or a, um, a movement after it's over so that you can properly place it in context than to try and understand it as it's happening. You know, I mean, we have some theories about why the zombie genre regained its life. You know, the post 9-11, the fears that people have of uh, people around them not being trustworthy, possibly being surrounded by death all the time or some sort of massive, uh, you know, world-changing, terrible event. This all makes total sense that people would be gravitating towards zombie movies. But there's, I'm sure, much more than that. And it's we're not going to recognize it until we can look back at what else was going on and properly contextualized in the same way that we can look back at the Saw franchise now and go, oh, it's no surprise that uh, people were getting tortured in Guantanamo Bay and we were making movies about whether or not torture makes people better or not, you know. But we didn't see it at the time. We have to look back to recognize it. Yeah, and it, it's very interesting how the zombie genre has evolved. You know, in when George Romero first started with Night of the Living Dead, you had these slow, shambling, creeping zombies, and now they can all, you know, run a four four forty. Right. Yeah. Well, and not to mention, I mean, before George Romero turned them into creatures of science, 
it was it was all voodoo. It was all voodoo all the time for you know a couple of decades before he got his hands on them. Mm-hmm. And it was only because colonialism went out of popularity that the new kind of zombie that George Romero created really sort of came to the fore. Like, oh no, this is what zombieism is now. It's about hordes of people out of control, not a bunch of people that have been taken over by a rich white landowner in Haiti. You know. Right. You you kind of you kind of hinted at a follow up. Are you working on anything currently? Um, we are. We're working on a couple of projects, but I think most of the stuff that we're working on currently is either film related or is uh, fiction. So we have a couple of fiction projects, which I won't I won't bore you with because it's so questionable as to whether or not fiction books ever get picked up. That if I tell you about it now, it could be years before anybody hears of it. <laughs> but we are working on. Uh, Kathy and I are the producers and writers of an anthology film. Uh, that is uh, found footage style. It's sort of um, it's it's called Pirate Signal, and it's basically the, uh, the premise is that a guy has an illegal sort of black frequency show that broadcasts live, and he airs videos that people didn't know still existed that they thought they got rid of or had um, destroyed that uh, reveal secrets about themselves and about others. So it's sort of you know half VHS, half the signal. Um, and it's, uh, it was kind of an experiment for us. We basically contacted college students who were interested in making short films but had no money or equipment, and we said, tell us what you got, and we'll write a segment around it. And uh, so it's been a kind of a filmmaking experiment, and we're probably about a month, month and a half out from having a, a final cut on it, and we'll start shopping it around. But uh, So that's the, that's the big thing that we've been putting our time into now. So that's what we would consider our follow-up, if anything. That's a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah, we just we realize that there's a lot of people who want to make stuff, and unfortunately, not everybody has the creativity to just look in their garage and figure out what they can do with, you know, seven lead pipes, two friends, and a you know, bags of uh, ketchup. But they can send us that list, and we can form something for them. We're writers; we don't have the capacity to make the movies, but if they do, we'll write it for them. So, you know, hopefully, if the movie does well, we can obviously continue to make them. They're so inexpensive. So, you know, we'll keep our fingers crossed that it finds a modicum of popularity and, and we can continue the franchise and build the mythology of where the pirate signals are coming from and who's creating them and, and that sort of stuff. Hold on. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, uh, I want to thank you uh, very much for coming on the show. It was uh, real fun talking to you and learning about your work. And um, So I, I guess before we close out, you want to go ahead and plug uh, any websites or um, tell us where you, where you can get the books or sure yeah well the the first book is called The Anatomy of Fear and the second book is called Horror Films by Subgenre um, obviously they can both be found at Amazon but The Anatomy of Fear has its own homepage it's uh, theanatomyoffear.com and the uh, you can actually just go to the McFarland website McFarlandBooks.com and look up Horror Films by Subgenre it's there and, um, you know, if you want to keep up with us at our blog, we write it in the margin, in the margin.net. And um, that's pretty much everything. I mean, if, if something big is going on, we mention it at in the margin.net. So uh, you can keep track of us there. And um, I'll use the rest of my plug time to thank you guys for doing what you're doing because I told you before, I used to spend 10 hours a day working outside. And the motivation that I needed to keep working was from shows like the ones that you guys run, knowing that. You know, uh, once a week something or, you know, once every two weeks, however often it it comes out, you know that it's going to land. You're going to have something that you like from people who are passionate about the same thing that you are. And it really keeps people going. I know that it did me. So thank you guys for doing what you do. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And thank you. Um, I mean, from what I've I've read of the book so far, and I intend to 
read them in depth. Um, but what I've seen so far, especially um, the anatomy of fear, I gotta say that like those interviews you've done with with these filmmakers, uh, it's very uh, not only informational but kind of inspirational. So uh, thank you uh, very much. It's uh, some some great work you're doing. Absolutely, and it was a, it was a really pleasure uh, talking to you guys. I, I had a great time. You as well. So, uh, yeah, good luck to you in the future. Uh, Give our best to Kathy, and um, hope to talk to you again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Take care. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. It's right off the highway. Wobbledy-wobbledy drop into my grave plot. You afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not, because I got the bomb spot right off the highway. I did it my way. Yeah, we're back. This is KBB butt fuck. KBB butt fuck. All right. <laughs> That's, those aren't call letters. <laughs> Not any ones that I've heard of. Uh, this is Skippy and the Chode. <laughs> um, great interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get over Skippy and the Chode <laughs> on KBB butt fuck. Oh, man. <laughs> It's late, man. <laughs> this is a mess. <laughs> no, good stuff. Uh, thanks to Chris for coming on, and uh, definitely check out check out his books. Yeah, I really do. I mean, especially um, if you're, I mean, if you're in the film industry or aspiring to be, there's a lot of great information. I mean, uh, I mean, his newer one is uh, horror movie subgenres um, or horror film subgenres. Sorry. Um, but also check out uh, Anatomy of Fear, um, talking you know with some fairly well-known um, directors and uh, people involved with film. And, Tom Holland, man. Yeah, that's you know I, I read his interview and um, about vampires, and it's good stuff. Um, you know something that you know it's like right in front of your face, like I, but didn't even acknowledge it. It was that like. Basically, Fright Night is basically Rear Window with vampires. Holy shit! Right? It's it's like staring you in the face, but it's like you didn't even realize it. Yeah. Um. But man, I just turned my world upside down. Yeah. You, you enjoying that apple? Yeah. In, in the mic. It's really fucking juicy. So juicy, dude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. Anyway, so yeah, check out both of his books um, written by... At Amazon.GraveBlotPodcast.com <laughs> um, But uh, written by him and his wife, Kathleen. A um, shy little wife. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, as per usual, we've got two reviews. So let's jump into those. Rock your body in time. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> yep. Uh, what do you want to do first? Um, let's do martyrs first. Okay. survive the pain 
the torture, and they refuse to die. He told me how perfect I was. That I was the one that they'd all been waiting for. Martyrs endure the unspeakable sins of the earth and transcend their very being. You are crazy. I sacrifice for knowledge. Rejoice in the suffering of thy child. <laughs> Through her pain, may we truly know the mysteries that are yours. Okay, so Martyrs is a movie that just came out this year, um, pretty recently. I mean, like, obviously the year's not too far in, but just a few weeks ago, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Both and, these movies are pretty new. Yeah. Um, have you seen the original? I have not, and that I, I, I wanted to watch it. Um, I've heard really good things about it. Yeah, same here. I have, I have not seen it either. I did go and read the synopsis. So that gave me a little little insight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get more into that once we get into the the review part of it. But okay, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. Listen to this review, knowing that neither of us have seen the original. I fully intended to watch it. I just didn't have time. Yeah, to so we're it, not so. really judging it in a comparison with the original. We're we're basically judging it on its own merit. Yeah. So I mean, I think that may be more of an honest review. I guess. Yeah. Um. So this movie stars. Uh, I believe it's Troyan Belisario um, from uh, Pretty Little Liars, and I only know that because my wife watches it. And which, who was she? Uh, she was Lucy. Okay. Um, she reminded me a lot of. Um, I can't remember her name. The, the girl from Ash vs. Evil Dead. Oh, um, D- Dana. God damn it! Some Italian name. <laughs> it's. I'm pretty sure her first name starts with a D, and then her last name is like Day something. Fuck, I can't remember. Terrible names. Anyway, um, so this movie focuses on Lucy and Anna. Um, Lucy, the movie starts out with Lucy as a 10-year-old girl uh, escaping from a warehouse um, where she's been held captive by someone. Um, She... Uh, Dana De Lorenzo. That's the one. She was in a, a State Farm commercial. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, which the, the the commercial predates Ash vs. Evil Dead, but apparently people are just realizing it. <laughs> um. <clears throat> anyway, um. So Lucy, she escapes her captors, uh, and you know goes to the authorities, and when the authorities 
being the cop state, go to where she claims that she has been held, there's nothing there. Like, whoever it was is cleared out. Um, she goes to an orphanage where she is um, befriended by Anna, another girl at the orf- orphanage. Um, and, of course, you know, Lucy has this kind of history um, of being kind of like the crazy girl that claims that she was held captive by people that she doesn't know. Uh, and, you know, there's no real evidence of her being held um, aside from, you know, wounds that she she has. Um, and she claims that she's being hounded by a monster. Um, Night terrors! <laughs> Uh, so they, they, they become friends and Lucy kind of starts to open up to her a little bit. Um, and then we jump ahead about 10 years or so. I think Uh, exactly 10 years. Is it 10? Okay. Um, and Lucy has apparently been on a manhunt for these last 10 years, trying to find these people that captured and tortured her um, and basically trying to repay the favor. Uh, she comes down on this family living out, seemed like the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, very desolate location. <clears throat> Guns them all down. Like basically without a word. I mean, it's just the two parents and their two children, who are about you know high school age, mm-hmm. um, and she then calls Anna to come help her out to basically show her these people. Anna goes there under the pretense that Lucy was, you know, he, she had found these people, and they're gonna she was gonna show them show uh, Anna the, these people. And report them to the authorities. Uh, little did she know that the people were already dead. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, basically, this whole movie is Lucy trying to convince Anna that this really happened, that these are actually the real people that captured and tortured her when she was younger. And there's very little. I mean, almost no evidence whatsoever, aside from Anna, uh, from Lucy's word, that these are the people that, in fact, did this to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as the movie goes on, it, it's really starting to seem like Lucy's just crazy. Uh, she has just become unhinged. She has found these people that m- make her think that they're the ones that did it to her. Um and Anna is far from convinced. Uh, it seems like it seems like a part of her wants to believe, but you know she can't like ignore the evidence or you know lack thereof. So um, that's I mean without giving things away. I mean that's basically the premise. Um, you don't think you can give away any more than that? 
really? Oh, okay. I mean, what? <clears throat> the entire thing with the bunker? Well, no. I think that's kind of a spoiler. Okay. It's up to you. It's your movie. <laughs> that you picked for me, thanks. Um, anyway so what did you think uh it reminded me a lot of Hostel yeah yeah definitely um and maybe Saw to an extent to an extent not not necessarily necessarily, uh plot wise but same kind of feel yeah I thought it was interesting that Artie, the strongest man in the world, was in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Playing a serious role. It's like, guy, give me a break. Yeah, I could not take him seriously. No. Just kept waiting for him to like lift a car. It's like the, the two roles that always stand out in my mind with Toby Huss is Artie, the strongest man in the world, and the security guard from News Radio. <laughs> it was him, and I think Sinbad was the other one. <laughs> I don't know. It just stands out in my mind. He uh, he was in Down Periscope. You remember that movie? Uh, yeah, with Kelsey Grammer. He was he was in that. I think he was like the communications guy, and he was fucking weird in that. And that that's that's aside from Artie. That's what I always go to. That's that's the other role I remember. Him in. Yeah, this was an interesting role for him. Yeah. I don't know that it's actually the only serious role I've ever seen him in. I could be wrong on that. I'm pretty sure I have seen him in something else, but I can't think of what it might be. Yeah. But it's just some people, you know, like, dude, stick to what you're good at. Yeah. Not that he was bad. It's just like. No. It's just. It's in like. In my Danny, mind, he's already. It's like Danny McBride in an alien movie. Right. <laughs> um, I remember hearing so much about how brutal. The original was, and this did not convey that at all. And no, I, that's the biggest complaint that I've read online when comparing the two is that this d- does not have the brutality of the original. And that it was clearly tamed down, I, I guess, for American audiences. That's definitely what it was. And you know, we talked about that when they first announced this. It's like, okay, well, apparently, Martyrs is one of the most brutal movies ever made, and you know, the fact that it was being made specifically for American audiences. You know they're going to want to give this an R rating. They're going to want to try and put it in theaters. Uh, you know, however limited you know release it may be, uh, they're going to want to you know probably put it in festivals and you know have a decent VOD showing. And from what I've gathered about the original, and I you know like I said, we haven't seen it. We're not going to compare it too much. But what I've heard about the original is like. If that got like an an MPA or A rating, it would probably be NC seventeen. Uh, again, I don't know. So yeah, I mean, like I said, that's just what I've gathered. Yeah, know, what I've uh, assumed. But I, I do know a major plot point that's different, but I can't really like I would I would have to spoil the the French one in order to say it. Mm. So I don't know if that's. I guess we don't want to do that, do we? How old is it? I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's that old. Uh, then no. Wait, I think it's 2008. It is 2008. Okay. Um, 
<clears throat> but yeah, I mean the, the the I can assume where the brutality took place. I mean, assuming that the plot, I mean the opportunity is there. Yeah, it certainly is, uh, and assuming the plot follows basically the same story as the original. From what I understand, from what I've read, it, it does yeah. more or less. And like I said, there's one major plot point that's different. Different. It's gonna come off the table. Loosen the. It's good. Okay. Um. Like I said, there's one major plot point that's different, but overall, the blood plot is very much the same. Okay. Um. So that being the case, it's like I can definitely tell where the brutality probably occurred in the original, and it was definitely not even downplayed it was like sidestepped yeah uh it was like it, it was almost like they tried to avoid it altogether which is just it, it's it's crazy i mean like why why make this remake if you're gonna do that yeah i mean aside from just trying to make money off of a popular title from another country yeah. exactly which i mean that's you know what americans do it's that's true. The The biggest complaint I've seen from people who are like really into the original, other than it being so tame, is that it's so much alike to the, to the French version mm-hmm. that it's just pointless. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that could be said about most remakes. Sure. Especially ones that are, you know, Americanized versions of other things. Yeah. Um, like Quarantine is almost shot for shot wreck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, I mean, like all the all the J horrors, like are almost exactly <clears throat> the same. Yeah, uh, I think like the Grudge in particular, it's like identical. Yeah, um, man, we should have hit up uh, Jessica Cameron because I know she's a big Martyrs fan. Yeah, Let's see what she thought of this. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I went into this, you know half expecting what we ultimately got, which was a very pacified version of the original. Like I assuming, but you know, I I heard so much about how brutal the original was. And so I expected this one to be brutal. I didn't expect like this brutality, this level of brutality that I couldn't handle or anything, but I expected this to be, you know, at least on the level of like hostile, yeah, and I feel like this isn't even to that level. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I mean, it, no, I mean, by, by far and away, this, this was this was child's play compared to that. Yeah, um, I mean, that's not to say that it was completely devoid of some pretty nasty shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, like, it was so minor. I well, mean, there was a bunch of it happened off screen. Yeah, and that, that seems to it's be... It's like something would start to happen, and then they would cut to another person like hearing it happen or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, show that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was... There, there was a lot of blood, but, I mean, not... Not, like, gory blood. It's just on people. I mean, that, that's... Yeah. It's like they splash people with blood and call it good. It's like, oh, look how... Gruesome it is. <laughs> um, uh, story wise, what do you think? 
Uh, I was a little confused for most of it. How so? Well, I mean, um, see, that, watching this, and you know, like you're asking me if there's any more that I could reveal, and I don't, I don't really think so because I feel like half of this movie is a spoiler. Yeah, and I mean, if we're going that way, it's, it is hard for me to, to to say what confused me without giving that away. But like the the motivation, I guess it's not really revealed until the very end. Mm-hmm. So for most of the movie, I was like, "What is going on?" Yeah, yeah. God, it's such a pain in the ass to fucking dance around it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, it, it's it's uh, the, the 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 true plot. Uh, you know, the, the the true like end game of all this. Like yeah, it's not re- revealed until like seriously like the last five ten minutes, minutes maybe ten minutes maybe yeah. Um, but then like the very end is intentionally open ended. Yeah, they leave it with this this thing that makes it like it's supposed to make you wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, but so much of the movie, um, I mean, after like the opening. When she goes in, she guns down this family, and you know all this time trying to convince Anna that you know what actually happened to her happened, and you know these are the people, um, and you know it, it casting so much doubt, but you're still like, well, it, you know it, it hasn't been proven beyond a shadow of doubt that these aren't the people. Mm-hmm. It's like, so what's actually going on? Well, then you had the whole thing with the monster, too. That little, like, side story. That confused me for a long time. Yeah. yeah it, it really... Because uh, I was like, I did not expect monsters. No, yeah, exactly. It, it really kind of confused the the feel of the movie. It's like, well, what am I watching here? Is this, like, um, like a, a, a captive... Uh, torture porn... Uh, as much as I hate that term, uh, type movie. I mean, or is this like a supernatural monster yeah, is this movie? Yeah, a creature feature. Or? Um, and, you know, if that's intentional to create that confusion, I mean, they they nailed it. I mean... It could be. Um, but, I mean, there actually is a part where... Uh, I don't know... I don't think this is necessarily a spoiler, but, you know, Lucy's being basically haunted by this monster um, for a good deal of the movie. And eventually it's revealed that she's just crazy. She's like imagining it. Yeah. At least that's the perspective of someone out from the outside. Like, she, But like, then even later than that, it's explained why. Like why she's been seeing this. Yeah. This manifestation. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it does... Cast some doubt. Um, it kind of leaves you wondering what's true. I mean, um, like you, you don't know if you should believe Lucy and what she's seeing or what you're seeing yourself. Yeah. It kind of depends on, like, I guess... I guess it really depends on how you want to interpret the movie. Okay, yeah. 
because there are at least two different ways that you could take it. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I said, I mean, there's this one part where Lucy, there, this monster is smashing Lucy's face into a picture frame, like just like in the glass, just smashing it re- repeatedly. And Anna comes in the room and finds that Lucy is just smashing her own face into the glass. So, you know, that, that, I guess that should be an indicator to a rational person that it's like, okay, well, this chick's just crazy. And, you know, everything that she's talking about, everything she believes that she sees is just a fantasy. And, you know, just clearly something's happened to her because she's covered in scars. I mean, there's no doubt that somebody captured her and tortured her. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you need to try and rationalize. It's like, okay, well, is she actually being haunted and, and taunted by this creature? Or is she just out of her mind? Like, was her mind broken by what happened to her? And, you know, I I guess Anna does a good Mm. job of being kind of the representative of the viewer. Because she is having a hard time grasping all this stuff that she talks about. And, you know, at one point, Lucy says, you know, it's like, you never believed me, did you? And Anna basically doesn't have a response. Doesn't, doesn't she say, I don't know? That was when she was a kid. Oh, that was when she was talking to the, the people at the school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, it, I have to assume it was maybe like a, a cop. Yeah. Because she made friends with Lucy at the orphanage. And of course, you know, they're still trying to investigate what happened to Lucy. Uh, and like I said, it's, it's Assumed that it's a cop that she's talking to, and she said, do you, do you believe what Lucy says? And she kind of stares blankly for a while and eventually says, I don't know. Um, and that's kind of where she's at for most of the movie. Um, until she gets to a point where it seems like she just doesn't believe her. Yeah. Um, this Is this rated R? I have to assume so. I can't find anything on IMDb about what it's rated. So I don't know if it was unrated or because the reason I ask is because it, it almost feels like it's pulling punches. It, it does seem that way. Um, and I don't know if that's maybe because I mean, not, not to the point where it feels like it should be PG 13. Sure. I don't mean that, but it just feels like they could have gone farther with it. And if it's, if the original is so brutal and so gory, then why would they pull punches? Just, it's because they wanted a a release. I mean, we've heard this time and time again about filmmakers trying to get their movies released. I mean, Rob Zombie, case in point, trying to get 31 released. He, downplayed into the hands of the MPAA because he wanted his mass release. And it's, it's sad. I mean, you know, we talked about this before. It's like, you know, he crowdfunded that movie. And as 
a, you know, as a backer, I would have been fucking furious that he did that. Yeah. If you're a backer, you're not getting your money back. You're not like an investor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've backed, well, I guess I've only backed one film. I've backed a couple of video games. I've backed four projects, and I can't remember what the fourth one is. Anyway, but I backed uh, Emily DiPremio's Carver. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I, I backed it because I had faith in it. Um, And, I mean, all I got in return was a couple, like, little knickknacks. They sent me, like, this um, high school diploma from the high school in the movie. But, I mean, it was like a digital copy. Um, and I got a copy of the DVD and, oh, and my name was, was in the credits as a backer. That's cool. Yeah, that's, that's cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're not getting your money back. No. And uh, that's fine. I mean, like, so I don't understand what the need to appease to anyone is like, why do you need to succumb to the MPAA when you you don't need to make your money back? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we can take this all back to the production house. Tommy Blum? Yeah. Who? Yeah, BH Tilt, uh, over two so far. Mm-hmm. Well, no. Creep. Creep was good. Oh, was that Tilt? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Creep was good. Fuck, I want to watch Creep again. <laughs> it's on Netflix. I know. Um, <laughs> right after we watched it. Or no. No, it was already on there. It was already on there, yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, no, I, I felt I felt cheated by this. Like, I mean, I wanted. I, like we said, even though we haven't seen the original, we're not really necessarily comparing apples to apples with it. But still, like we've heard so much about the original. Yeah, and this just feels like a watered down version. Like it almost feels like a, a not not version. quite, but it almost feels like a TV version. Yeah, I mean, like, um, maybe if, like, something you saw on, like, like a cable channel, like a, like FX or HBO or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's where they can't go, like, full throttle, like they should. Right. But, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's like, I, I, like I said, I felt cheated because I wanted some, some brutality out of this because it's got such a legacy to live up to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, if you're not going to do it right, then don't fucking do it at all. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that it was Blumhouse, I mean, when Blumhouse first came about, I felt like they were kicking ass. Like they were putting out some pretty good movies aside from the paranormal activity sequels, but I mean, they were doing pretty well. I I felt, but as time went on, it just became... It's like they're they're, they're, they're trying to feel like the new Lionsgate, a little bit, yeah. They're just picking up everything, and it's almost like they're trying to print money, yeah. Um, and it's it it really shows in the well, they, they just pick up whatever like low budget kind of shit they can pick up because that that's easy money, yeah. If it's low budget, then you don't have to make that much back. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the budget on this was. Maybe it could have stood to have a few more million dollars thrown at it. Yeah, I mean, I. Watching it, I, I couldn't 
guess that it had that great of a budget. It could mean, have been that high. It, it, I don't think it would be necessary to have a huge budget. No, but I mean, you know, like I said, a few more million dollars, you could have upped the special effects a little more. It looks like this may have been three million. That's it? Yeah. Wow. It's funny saying fucking six figures. That's it? Well, for a movie. Well, sure. I would, yeah, I mean, I would suck a dick for $3 million. Oh, dude, I'd make like a fucking kick-ass movie for $3 million because I'm poor, so I'm resourceful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, $3 million. But, um, yeah, this movie seemed cheap. Um, like, it was just something they cranked out to not only write off the name of the original, but to make money. Yeah. And it, it showed. It showed through in spades in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was just sad. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that they cast uh, Belisario as, you know, t- to go off of her celebrity. I don't, because I don't, I don't think her celebrity is all that much. Is she related to Donald Belisario? I have no idea. No. Um, but. Yeah, there wasn't there just wasn't much to like about this. I mean, I I tried to watch this uh, one night and fell asleep. <laughs> I had to go back and watch it the, again the next day. Like the the story is not bad, but I again the the one of the biggest complaints is that it's so much like the original that it's that it's not necessary. Yeah, I mean, and especially like if you're going to be more or less a shot for shot remake and then water it down, that's Almost insulting to the original. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I was the original filmmaker, I'd, I'd be pissed. Yeah. <clears throat> um, anyway, so, I mean, do you have anything else to say? Uh, no, I think I've said my piece. Okay. So what do you think? Uh, I must say three. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's just... Technically, it was okay. I mean, like the shots. I mean, it, was, it was very dark, which is always off-putting. I mean, there's a certain way to do things in the dark, and then there's just shooting in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I felt like a, that's what this did most of the time. Um, so, I mean, it's, it, this is confusing to say, but it's like it seemed like it was shot well, but it looked like shit. <laughs> Um, you know, the acting was on par. It was nothing great. It wasn't bad. I thought it was fine. Yeah. Um, but just there was nothing, nothing to write home about, about this. I mean, it was, it was. Well, and like even not comparing it to the original, but I like with just this movie in itself, I was sold this brutal movie. Yeah. And I didn't get it. Right, yeah. So overall, yeah, just like I said before, feel pretty cheated. Um, and yeah, I think I'll, I'll match yours and say three. Um, have you seen its Rotten Tomato rating? No. 5%. Ouch. <laughs> not good. Not, uh, not that great. So, I mean, if... 
if you want to see it, I guess that's not necessarily an avoid from us, but it's not not a recommendation by any means. No, that's. I think that would probably fall under. It's like if somebody else will pay for it, then go and see it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Don't waste your own money on it. If you've Sorry. already watched like all the good movies, <laughs> all of them, then maybe then maybe this is worth your your two hours or whatever. And you know, after talking to Chris, it's like you know, he said that like, oh, he doesn't, he didn't like to trash people's movies. That's never really been our style to not trash movies. <laughs> Now I'm a little more conscious of it, I guess. Now that he meant, now that he said something. I mean, I would love but, to only review good movies, but the thing is, we set up the movies in advance. We don't just watch a shit ton of movies and yeah. then go. Here are the good ones. Yeah, you know, I, if I had the time, I would love to do that. I would love to have our show be that way, where we just watch, you know, ten movies a week and say, "Here's the two good ones." Right. Um, I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> I got shit to do. Um, yeah, I mean, like I, I think I've. I've Unless there's, like, nothing redeeming about it. Like, I always try to f- at least mention some good things about a movie. Yeah. Um, and I think I did with this one. Yeah. Um, but overall, it's just not worth your time. So, uh, all right. Well, let's keep this train moving along and uh, head in the next movie, which is another movie from this year called Southbound. You want to wear the black, I know. Of course I want to wear the black. I... What's your emergency? I just hit a woman with my car. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Sir, I'm sorry. Sir, you're freaking out. I said I'm in the middle of nowhere? Kim! (laughs) We still have this one last weekend for a little girl. (laughs) Well, this next one is for all you lost souls. All you sinners racing down that long road to redemption, but heading straight into that pit of darkness up ahead. We're all on the same endless highway. Ugh, close me in a flat. Guys, car! Why don't you come to our place? This place feels like a bad acid trip. Guys, we have got to go. I'm not going anywhere. Well, they're gonna try to stop you. But you gotta keep moving. Help! I need some help! I don't deserve this. trying to find our way home. That's life, right? All right, so Southbound is an anthology movie. It's four different stories. Um, although it's it's doesn't they don't kind of intertwine with each other the way like Trick or Treat does. It's just a it, it, like 
one story. They literally. bleed. They bleed into yeah. each other, but they don't what, go. They don't go back and forth, which is going to make this one tricky. Yes, but it's not quite as like episodic as like Tales of Halloween or Creepshow. Yeah, I mean, because they, they do interact with each other. It's yeah, not like one ends and one begins. I guess like the the one constant in all of them is seeming like kind of like tales from tales of halloween um there's a a radio dj played by larry Larry fessenden or fessenden sorry um you never actually see him it's just his voice over the radio Mm -hmm. but he he's in all of them yes i believe so but yeah like i said i mean this one's gonna be tricky to talk about because like you said each story bleeds into the next one and so it's going to be hard not to reveal the ending of the previous story mm. and talk about the next one. I had not thought of that, but you're right. So we're going to have to be careful. Have to tread lightly here. <laughs> All right. Well, it starts out with these two guys who are clearly running from something. Mm-hmm. They've they're got blood all over their clothes, and they, they keep looking back behind them. And they, they come to a diner, and they like get out and try to wash themselves up, clean, clean themselves up. And clearly something weird is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one guy's sitting at a table and the table starts to shake. The other guy's in the bathroom and his shirt like comes up over his head. Yeah. So something weird is going on, something supernatural. And then they go to leave. And as they're going down the street, it's, it's you know, the, the middle of nowhere, basically. Yeah. They're not in, you know, a, a city. It's a like fucking desert. Yeah. I mean, this uh, anybody that's made the drive from LA to uh, like Las Vegas, like, you know, that drive on 15, that's like a lot of nothing. It's, it's, it's a little like that. It's just this long stretch of highway. And as they're, as they're driving, they see the same diner and they stop and it's the, the same girl working there. Everything's the same. Mm-hmm. So they freak out. They start driving again. Keep just keeps happening. They just keep going past the same diner. So finally, one guy just gets out and says, "It's over. I'm done. I can't. I can't take this." Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's the diner has a motel attached to it. I guess I should have said that. So he gets out and he goes to this motel, and then something happens in the motel that we can't really say. <laughs> And that kind of leads into the next story, which is about uh, these three girls who are a band. They're staying in the motel room next to this guy. And they get out and they get in their van. They're driving down that same stretch of road. They're driving along. They're driving along. They're driving along. Truck tire! <laughs> <clears throat> There's no truck tire, but they do, they do, <laughs> they do blow a tire. Because they're driving a piece of shit VW bus. Yeah. They're a band, man. That's just what you do. And uh, then these people stop and say that, you know, that we'll, we'll give you a ride to our place and then our, our boys can fix up your, your tire. So they take them home. They hang out with them and their weird fucking kids. Yeah. Uh, like these, these two twins who are just fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, and Dana Gould for some reason <laughs> what's with Dana Gould getting into horror I don't know this is the second Dana Gould movie we reviewed on the show what's the other one Tales of Halloween alright oh, um 
Maybe and he likes then, anthologies. I don't know. Apparently. <laughs> uh, hmm. Something See, happens. Yeah. <laughs> something happens and then something leads into another thing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's clearly something off about these people. And they... Uh, They, hmm, uh, yeah, and they they do some stuff with the girls, and then in the next story, <laughs> uh, there's a guy driving on the he's same stretch. Driving along. He's driving along. There's a lot of driving along in this. They might as well have called it drive along. <laughs> <laughs> but not not ride along, drive along. Right, and uh, he hits somebody with his car. And so he calls 911 and they tell him, you, you got to get her to a hospital. So he throws her in the back of a car, back of his car, not just a car. There's a car. Hey, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and he takes off towards this town. He gets to the town and the town is just abandoned. Mm-hmm. The whole time he's got the uh, 911 operator in his headphones. And she's telling his, him what to do. His ear pods. Yeah. That's what they're called. That's not what they're called. Yeah, they are. Ear pods? Yeah. It's Apple. Oh. Or maybe it's iBuds. I'm pretty sure it's ear pods, though. I don't know. I use skull candy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, he, she's telling him what to do the whole time. And then she puts him on the line with an EMT. And so he's got these two... Two women talking in his head, and they're both, you know, giving him advice. And finally, he finds a hospital in this town that's just completely abandoned. There's nobody around. Mm-hmm. So he goes into the hospital, and he's screaming for somebody to help him, but there's nobody there at all. So he goes into the emergency room operating area, and all of a sudden, another voice comes on and says he's the surgeon. Now, here's what got me. Never at any point did he say, hey, come help me. <laughs> Just assumed he's, he's, he's indisposed. Yeah. <laughs> In this abandoned hospital where there's no other patients. And uh, then some stuff happens there. <laughs> some stuff happens in the hospital. And then uh, then he leaves. And then, uh, then there's some people in a bar. And this guy comes comes into the bar with a shotgun says, looking for my sister. <laughs> Give me all your money. He doesn't say that. No, he doesn't. He says, where's your daughter? No. He says, where's my <laughs> sister? <laughs> and uh, He's like, where are all the white women at? <laughs> Blazing saddles. <laughs> that reminds me, I got to tell you this David Cross joke later. Okay. <laughs> but uh, one guy says, you know, I know where she is. I can take you to her. So they go to the... Uh, what was it called? The freezing, freezing over. Right. It's like an ice cream shop. And they, they go in there and they find his sister. She says, I don't want to leave. He says, no, you have to leave. She's like, ah, get out of here. She's like, no. And he's like, yes. And then they leave. And then some stuff happens. Do you recognize the dude that, that took him to this place? 
I did, but I couldn't figure out from where. He's the fucking uh, like uh, the the not the home ec teacher, but like the 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 maintenance guy from the Orange is the New Black. Oh, is that where he's from? Yeah, I knew I recognized him, but I couldn't place it. Yeah, the guy that like teaches them how to work with electronics and stuff. Yeah, oh. he's kind of an asshole. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, all right. Now I see it. <laughs> so then some other stuff happens with them, and then there's you see this family, this family, and they're are they at home? Or are they they're home? Right? Or are I they in like a hotel? It, it, it looked like a house, but I got the impression that they didn't actually live there. Okay, that was, like they yeah. rented it or something. I got that impression too. They were on vacation. Yeah, and they get home invaded, mm-hmm. and uh, some stuff happens, and then the movie's over. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but you'll thank me if you watch the movie. Yeah. I know that was a terrible description, <laughs> but the movie's actually pretty good. It was all right. Um, you know, when I first started checking this movie out and I saw one name on the Wikipedia page. Brad Miska? Yep. You had Brad Miska, and then you also had the team behind VHS. Yeah, that's another no-no. Yeah. So this movie had a lot working against it. Did you Did you see Miska in it? No, I don't even know what he looks like. Oh, yeah, he's in it. He's one of the, the guys at the bar. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't like him. <laughs> I'll just come out and say it. <laughs> Yeah. Not that we haven't bad-mouthed him before. Yeah, I think people who listen to the show enough, they know that we don't care for him. Yeah. Um, but seeing his name attached to something, it's like, oh, I want to hate it so bad. But, yeah, this this wasn't bad. Yeah. It wasn't great, but overall, it, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't terrible, which irritated me. <laughs> Um, the, uh, some of the stories were a little confusing. A little bit. It's like, why, why is that happening? The, the one with the, the hospital, I didn't get the point. Like when it was over, I was like, that's it. Yeah. I was waiting for something more. Right. And the fact that it, it ended so cleanly. Yeah. Like the what? Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll reveal a little bit about that. It's like there's essentially no consequences dealt out in that one. Mhm. I kept thinking that was David Wallace, too. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but it's the guy who played Gil and I love you, man. Yep. Um, I think that was probably the one I liked the most, I think. Really? Yeah. Um, the uh, fuck. There's like stuff I want to talk about, but I can't. Yeah. D. 
damn it, what a pain in the ass. The stuff with the, the, the two guys from the beginning, like when they kept seeing something following them, mm-hmm. from a distance, it just looked like a floating piece of seaweed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you could tell it was definitely something. I mean, aside from the fact that it was floating in midair, you could definitely tell it was something that didn't belong there. But yeah. it was moving too quickly. You couldn't really make out what it was. And that may have been the point. But um, yeah, I don't think you were supposed to know what it was until you saw it close up. Yeah. What did you think of those? They were okay. They were kind of yeah. kind of hokey. Yeah. I mean, based on what they looked like, I kind of tell what maybe they were going for. Yeah. Um, I've seen that kind of creature demonstrated better. Yes. Um, but yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, it's fucking CGI. So, you know, it's, that was one frustrating thing is there's a, a good amount of CGI in this, but there's also a good amount of practical effects. Yeah. So it kind of made the CGI frustrating. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it could not have been done with practical effects. Sure. And that's why I think the the ultimate way to succeed in making a movie with a lot of visual effects is to combine them. Like, you know, when when you've got something that just cannot be achieved with practical effects, then you use computer effects. But if you've got just a, a creature, like, up in your face, uh, you know, Doing something that is completely achievable with practical effects, then fucking do it. Yeah. And, you know, this was a relatively low-budget movie. I understand that. But, you know, you got to have your priorities. When I get like, there's a lot of times that if you did it with practical effects, you would get one take. And that's a big reason why they do CGI. Yeah. It's such a fucking lazy... It's a cop-out. I know. That's a problem with filmmakers today. They're lazy. Yeah. Fucking Miska. <laughs> <laughs> fucking producer. I don't care. <laughs> um, he gets no credit for the good stuff. He just gets blamed for all the bad stuff. <laughs> so, uh, I think the, the one with the girls was my favorite. Really? Yeah. That was directed by Roxanne Benjamin who was actually just recently on the movie crypt. Um, I think this was her first directing job. I oh yeah. I think I'm, I might be wrong on that. Interesting. Um, the only thing about that part was that there was like this kind of, there's part of the story that didn't really seem to need to be there. Can you not elaborate? The part with Alex? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, that seemed like fluff. I mean... Yeah, I, I didn't get the point of that. If it was going to I be- expected it to like become a major thing later in the story, that it would all kind of come together on why that was there, but it never really did. Yeah, if it was a feature, I could definitely see that being something that they'd want to expand on, but the fact that it was a, 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 a vignette in an anthology... That just seemed like extra story that, yeah, like you said, just didn't... It never didn't resolved itself, there. yeah. It's like having a fucking 11th finger. I mean, what... Yeah, it's just never mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
that. Yeah, my like I said, my favorite was uh, it's called The Accident, um, which was actually directed by David Bruckner, who you know anybody that listens to the show knows that I've done a lot of bad mouthing of him. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually didn't know he had directed that. So I was a little surprised. Totally redeemed himself. <laughs> no. <laughs> Slightly redeemed himself. Uh, I think he's he's like an alcoholic that is like three months sober. <laughs> he's on his way to recovery, um, but he's still got that past behind him. <laughs> Fair. Because VHS and VHS two, well, all the VHS movies are fucking terrible. Cacahuete. <laughs> yep. No, that means peanut. What? Just that means peanut. All right. <laughs> then yes, it's peanut. It just has caca in it, so it sounds like a dirty word. It sounds like poopy. <laughs> like it sounds like it should be like shithead. <laughs> It'd be cabeza de caca. <laughs> yep. Uh um I didn't really like Jailbreak, which was the one the guy trying to rescue his sister. Oh, yeah. It didn't make any sense. No, like, it absolutely didn't. There, I mean, there's like parts of it, like basically like the big reveal, which is not even like a big reveal. It's just suddenly there. Again, it feels like it's, you know, it's something that could have been, it could have worked in a longer Feature because you could have explained more of what was going on. Yeah, but in, yeah. A, in a condensed version, there was stuff that just it just happened. Yeah, it, you know it, that story started in the middle of a story. Like there's like there's a backstory to this that we don't know, mm-hmm. and sometimes that works. It didn't work in that one, <laughs> right? Because the rest of it didn't make any sense. Yeah. Because we don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah, and then like you said, the big reveal at the end, it's like, wait. (laughs) That just came out of left field. I don't understand. Yeah. And it's like... And you're thinking maybe that's going to like flow into another story and it's going to get explained, but no, it's just... Yeah. In fact, I I think that one out of all of them was like probably the... The weakest? Uh... Yeah. I think yeah, I think I'd, I'd say so. I probably agree. Um but I was going to say the 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 connection between that and the the next story was probably pretty like flimsy. The softest. Yeah. Um although the one between um one between this one and uh the accident uh those was pretty lean too. Yeah, but it yeah. didn't really make any sense either. Is that a fucking gunshot? Sound like a car wreck to me. Um, it was lean, but I liked it. I liked how they did it. Yeah, I mean, like it, it wasn't bad. It just was like, like you said, flimsy. Yeah. Um, kind of made you wonder, like, okay, well, why did that happen? <laughs> Definitely a car wreck outside. Yeah. I mean, only one of the cars is out there now, but. See, so, yeah, I like like most anthologies. You, you know, especially ones where you have different directors. Um, who's going to have some stories that are stronger and some that are weaker? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've like the the 
the keystone to anthology movies is trick or treat. But that was because it was all done by one person. It all just it fit so well and everything had like that same all the stories had that same degree of um uh same tone, same yeah, feel, everything. So I mean that that's definitely the advantage you have to having the same Writer yeah, and I mean, when you have one writer, then you can easily go in and out like Trick or Treat does because yeah. you, you always know where it's going because it's, it's your story. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely some merit to bringing in all these different directors. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of anthology movies that just go, here's a story. Now this story is over. Now here's a new story. It's like, okay, I just watched four episodes of a TV show. Yeah. That's not a movie. Right. I mean, that's, that's why fucking VHS was so bad. Yeah. I mean, aside from it being found footage, like entirely found footage, because fuck found footage, um, it, like it was all woven together by these these um, wraparound stories that had very little to do, I mean, if anything at all, with the, the inter... With the, um, the vignettes, and uh, like there, there's nothing connecting them aside from this wraparound story that has nothing to do with the vignettes themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of liked the fact that this was an anthology, but didn't have a wraparound. Like yeah, they just, just they just flowed together. Yeah, and it wasn't like this one over hanging, which kind of plays into the very end of the movie. Yes. Um, it won't... Okay. We're going to have sirens for a while. Yeah, there was just a car accident right outside my apartment, so... Yeah. Nobody's hurt, looks like. I don't think so. Yeah, the guy's out of his car and walking around, so... Of course, we didn't really see anybody from the other car. That's true. But this guy's got his airbags blown, so... Yeah. Anyway. Um, I mean, we're just about done here, so... Yeah. Maybe maybe we think about wrapping this up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so should I give my rating? Go for it. Okay. Um, like I said, <laughs> as much as I went into this wanting to just fucking hate it, it, it wasn't all that bad. Um, it had a couple of good stories, some some weaker ones, but um, how the movie flowed together was was interesting and uh, kind of a newer concept that I hadn't really seen before. You know what it reminded me of? It was uh, Twilight Zone. Yeah, I could see that. Like, you know, the movie. The movie, yeah. I was saying not the TV show. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so, that being said, um, I'll give it a seven. Still my answer. That's what I was planning on saying already. So I'm going I'm to match you. I'm going to say seven as well. Okay. <laughs> so if you were watching, they were listening to this episode, hoping for some contentious infighting, you're not going to get it because we agreed on both movies. Right. <laughs> At least we're consistent. Yeah. With each other. <laughs> That's why people listen to podcasts, just to hear people agree with each other. Right. That's all anyone ever wants. Grab cup each other's balls and it's like, good job. What? What? 
that's later. But we don't do that on on mic. <clears throat> no. All right. So before we get out of here, we're going to do plot holes. Tony's looking at me like he did not do plot holes. I did not. So he's going to wing it because this always goes well. Oh, fuck me. Adjective. Uh, ugly. Verb. Uh, teabag. Noun. Grandma's vagina. Verb ending in ing. Shitting. Noun. Flashlight. Adjective. Jizz soaked. Noun. Uh, moose dick. Number. A number? 69, dude. <laughs> Verb ending in S. Um, fucks. And two nouns. Uh, Kim Kardashian's asshole and bloody dildo. Okay, so now we find out what Tony has done, how he has rewritten one of his favorite movies of all time, The Baba Duke. Oh, fuck. I'm glad I didn't put it. Well, no, actually, I put more effort into this than I usually do. Amelia is raising her son Samuel, a sweet-natured but very ugly and troubled little boy. On a nightly basis, Samuel grows convinced that monsters teabag beneath his bed, and he has even constructed homemade weapons, such as a miniature wooden grandma's vagina, to fend off the shitting enemies. Made of wood? (laughs) Well, you know, you take what you can get. Samuel's flashlight stresses Amelia to the breaking point. (laughs) The situation grows much more bizarre when Samuel asks his mom to read to him and produces a jizz-soaked children's storybook from his bedroom shelf. (laughs) Pages are stuck together. (laughs) Entitled The Babadook, it's an eerie pop-up book with charcoal illustrations of a demonic moose dick that that announces itself by knocking at the door of a house 69 times and then fucks all who reside within. (laughs) Neither Amelia nor Samuel have ever seen this volume before, nor do they know how it turned up in their home. Stranger still, it lacks Kim Kardashian's asshole and publishing information. (laughs) Strange. All books should come with that. (laughs) Kim Kardashian's asshole. The book instantly has Samuel in tears, and Amelia plans to dispose of it, but that night, 69 knocks on the door and rattle... 69 knocks sound on the door and rattle the bloody dildo. That was actually pretty good. Actually, turned out, yeah, it turned out to be one of our better ones. All right, so that's it. Yeah, that's going to do it for episode 55. Um Do you want to know what it was? <laughs> I'll tell you what it was. Um, lost my train of thought. Uh, we'll be back here in a couple weeks. Yep, two. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> um, with a brand new episode. Yep. <laughs> It'll be episode 56. What the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> You're just rambling. I know. God damn it. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode. We will be reviewing... The remake of Cabin Fever and, and The Witch. Hey! Which is being uh, highly publicized by the Satanic Temple. 
Oh, good. <laughs> well, I can't wait to, you know, tell them what we think. Yeah. Um, and we're going to have an interview. Uh, oh, God. I'm, yeah. We're having an interview. Yeah. I'm... T- my brain's not fucking working. We need to You're finish trying to this. figure out who it is? Yeah. It's Brian Netto and Adam Schindler of the movie Intruders. Thank you. God damn it. Sorry, guys. My brain's not functioning correctly right now. But come back and check that out. I promise it'll be good. Um, <laughs> be better than what's happening right now. <laughs> right. This is not going well. Okay. Uh, Taylor, tell, us, tell them where they can find us. Uh, graveplotpodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. Follow us on the social networks. And, uh, yeah, buy some shit. Bring money. <laughs> Bring money. <laughs> All right. Catch you again in a couple guys. A couple guys. Okay. I'm <laughs> Go home. <laughs> we'll see you in a couple weeks, guys. Yeah. Till then. I'm Skeletoni. I'm Taylor of Terror. This has been the Great Plot Podcast, where we're all a little dead inside. There's no one, and it is so good to hear it. You want to know what it shows? All right, I'll tell you what it shows. I know how to count all the way to 55. And I will tell you how to do it faster than you can say poop-de-poop-de-pints. You ready to hear it, baby? All right. Schwan. Two. Two and a half. Seven. Fourteen teen. Twenty-one. Twenty-seven half. Twenty-seven thirty-seven. What do you say?